Welcome to Shoot the Breeze, where we take a nostalgic look at a random football magazine from the past. I'm Andy Smith, aka Scotch Footy Cards on Twitter, and with me is Tom Brogan. Hello. Each episode will invite a special guest to join us in trawling through the magazine and discuss anything contained within it. Now this could be anything from an article, to a photo, to a competition, to an advert. Basically, if it's in it, then we'll talk about it. So sit back and let's shoot the breeze. Wriggles clear. Might just get the chip and he does, he's scored! Oh, what a great backhand! And we're joined this week by star of River City, still game, Sanjeev Kohli. Right, guys, I'm already disappointed because I thought <laughs> I thought Shoot the Breeze was going to be actually shooting a selection of cheeses. <laughs> we're going to be nailed on some camemberts, but are we actually here to chat? I'm sure. Well, that's no use at all. Yeah. So you furnished me with match uh, from what year is this? Oh, so August uh, 1988, so I would have been 17 mm-hmm. at that point. And the first thing that grabs me is Mortimer. So right. basically, you've got a copy of Match magazine and in Biro written on top is Mortimer. And I take it that was who this originally was intended for. It must be. Um, so these magazines have been recollected by me over the time. So Where did you get them? Off eBay, off things like that. I mean, essentially, I've added to them over the years and... You know, sometimes I've got small bundles, individuals, and other times I've got got them in boxes. You know, like five. The, the best one I ever got was probably from Middlesbrough, and there was like five, six boxes of magazines, and it was this this guy's dad who died a couple of years previously, and they'd been sat there. So things like that, and you take them home and you find all this stuff, and there's like Panini sticker albums yeah, 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 in it, yeah. and it's like this well, is amazing. Well, do you know what I did actually for you know Jordan Young. Yeah. Uh, River City yeah, yeah. And, and Scotswood, lovely boy as well. So it was his 40th recently. Uh, and I got him on eBay uh, completed. So I thought, because cause I'm, I'm 49, so I'm a mm. bit older than him. Uh, and, and I had got myself years ago the completed Figure and Panini album from when I was eight. Right. So absolute memory fest, as you can imagine, which, right? Which, which that so that was 78, it would have been. Okay, so that would have been the second one. That's the, the blue. Oh, did they only start in 77? 77. Is that right? The first one, yeah. Well, maybe it was 79 then, but it was... I didn't know that they'd only just started then. That's yeah. interesting. And then I thought, I'll, what I'll do is I'll get Jordan the one from when he was eight years old. In fact, I'm, I'm, since 78, I think, might have been the first one. So first, that might have oh, been wow. the first one. Well, oh, that might I be think, I think the first one's got a red cover and the second one... Red, or no, pretty sure blue. it was red. It's one of the other. I think it was red. Yeah. So it might With have been... With a big round circle in the, yes, the front. Yes, yes. I think yeah. that's the one. Yeah. Um, so I thought, what I'll do is I'll get Jordan the one from when he was eight. So that's 1988. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it came through, and you know, obviously it's a wee bit tight. I think that's part yeah. of the charm. Yeah. So that was someone's collection, yeah. and I thought oh, this is actually complete. It's amazing. I, I had to just a cursory click through it because I was seventeen at that point. So you know, it's like when you're seven or eight, everything is like you know, you obsessed with everything, yeah. and the older you get, you become a bit more yeah. adult, and mm. you, you know, we, we shouldn't, but we do. And but how do we flick through it? And then annoyingly, I noticed there was a, a duplication. Someone had very lazily put, I think, I, oh. can't, I, can't, I can't remember, it's two Norwich players the same, just put them down. So it wasn't quite complete. I bet that bumped that's you, prob- didn't it? Uh, that, that did annoy me. I'm slightly OCD and that annoyed me. But it was it was a thing of beauty, though. And it just takes you back to those days when you're yeah. really obsessed about stuff. I mean, there are some people who are really obsessive about getting them in just right, you know? Uh, yeah. And if you, but 
like you say about it being a bit tatty, I've said this before about the cards and the things that I collect. I'd prefer that. I mean, I've got mint stuff, mm -hmm. but I would. I don't like the mint stuff over the stuff that's been used yeah. because it's it's been it's been used, it's been played with, it's been loved, and all that. And, and Christ just, knows what fluids are on it, but <laughs> it's someone's living history. But they've been thrown against walls, they've been yes. thrown up in the air, and it's yeah. like you know somebody's really enjoyed these in the way that I enjoyed them when yeah. I was younger, rather yeah. than. Right, okay, they get a packet. Well, you know, put on gloves yeah, and yeah, stick yeah. them away in a, in, a, in a room so that they're never yeah. used. Oh, anymore. no, exactly. Just, What's the point? It's like, exactly. yeah, you know, when you, I like, I like an interactive museum, you know. No, if you pick up one of these things and you go to page six and there's a stain on it, you think, and you, and you think, Soda Stream. Yeah. And then that, that, again, that, again, it's like Soda Stream, American Cream Soda. And yeah. that, again, it's just, it, it's a social history. Yeah. That's what it is. I mean, even there was, there was one of the covers just the other week where it had, a rip or no a rip a, a sort of where there'd been sellotape on aye, the front aye. and you just know there was a special gift with that magazine yeah. and yeah. stickers or something <laughs> with it yeah. and you, you know it's things like that it's, yeah give me give me tatty no, yeah. you know not not take too many extremes well already well, like I say even before we even look at any of the football or the content on this you've got the word Mortimer in Biro M-O-R-T-I-M-A-R mm -hmm. it's an unusual spelling so, so clearly the backstory of this match magazine was it was sitting in the newsagents under the counter and Mr. or Mrs. Mortimer had, was coming in to collect this. So yeah. this already we have a wee kind of um, Facebook story, <laughs> a, a, an Insta story for this for this magazine. And it takes me back as well because we used to have a shop in the south side of Glasgow. We're, we're Asian, so it's in the small print. Mm -hmm. You have to own a shop at some point. And that's where my obsession with shops comes from. So um, when we, so my mum was a social worker, my dad was a teacher, and uh, um, I think basically my dad just saw his pals getting promoted, uh, and he wasn't getting promoted, and we, we had several theories as to why uh, Turban Seek might not get promoted in <laughs> Glasgow in 1979, and um, so he decided to, well, we'll run our own business, so um, got a, a convenience store in Battlefield in Glasgow, uh, and uh, they picked it there because we lived in Bishop Briggs, but I went to school in St Aloysius and the primary school was in Battlefield, so we'll, we'll put it there and then just makes it easier for the commute. So what it meant was that I would go after school and help out for a couple of hours. And what I would do is, and apologies to anyone in the south side of Glasgow who found um, blue riband crumbs in their uh, <laughs> looking, but I would totally finger the magazines yeah. that were meant, that had the, the word Mortimer written on them. <laughs> flick through, and I wouldn't put on the white gloves, you know, so flick through, yeah, yeah. through it. And I'd usually have like a, a Morton drool and cheese and a coffee. And then brush, try and brush the crumbs off and put it back in. So if I find any crumbs in this, I'll know exactly what happened. They'll be there. mine, actually, probably. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay, so just, I mean, the front cover, 45 pence for the magazine. So this is Good value. Yeah. And it says, you're up to date football weekly. Um, yeah. And what I've noticed is it says just match at the top. So it, when match first came out, it was match weekly. So at some point they've dropped the weekly from, from the, the title there. Um, some of the features it's talked about in colour, the Dundee United team photo. So oh. there's a centre centre page, double spread, and yeah. it, we'll get to that. But it's yeah. it's a it's a cracking photo. It's really colourful. Um, the front cover itself is Steve McMahon of Liverpool and John Fashionu of Wimbledon. Do you know yeah. something about his Liverpool shirt? There's no badge. There's no crest. Oh, right. There's no Adidas badge and there's no Liverpool badge on it. I'm wondering if that's maybe from the. Charity Shield final that those um, ones then um, who they played that year in the well Charity well Shield? this is leading up to the Charity Shield isn't it it's oh was it Wimbledon so is it Liverpool Wimbledon so they played each other in the FA Cup and yeah, they were yeah, playing yeah. each other in the, the Charity Shield there but yeah I, I don't know if that's a, a sort of you know Photoshop type thing yeah. where they've, they've 
put it out or mm. it was a weird shirt. Yeah. It says, uh, also news of a great free, free gift. Um, I don't know if you know what that was. That. I don't know. So d- there might be something in here that, but yeah. I can't remember off the top of my head. But there's, um, but there's no sellotape mark on this. So it wasn't sellotape to the front. I suppose they're saying that that would be a, a pretty rubbish spoiler. So news of a great free gift and the green <laughs> sitting right there. Yeah, yeah. or maybe uh, maybe we'll be covering it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, actually, it's not until maybe the free gift is was John Fashion. Is it? What was Tells that you at the back? Free <laughs> gift. Miss next week's match and you miss a fabulous free gift. So they're. So it doesn't tell you what it was. Well. trailing it for next week. <laughs> this is worse than clickbait. I'm, I'm on tenterhooks here. <laughs> so um, there's also a thousand pound of Diadora Boots Bonanza, um, which I'm guessing is going to be a competition. So we'll delve inside to pages two and three. And we've got the Steve McMahon column, and it's Kenny Keeps His Cool as the heading. So the Charity, field, Charity Shield final puts Liverpool and Wimbledon together in a rerun of the FA Cup final from the previous season, as Tom said. Wimbledon had beaten Liverpool 1-0 with a goal by Laurie Sanchez, and Liverpool had missed a penalty after John Aldridge's effort was saved by Dave Besant. John Watson said of the result, the crazy gang have beaten the culture club. <laughs> so, I mean, a lot of people say that this was a huge shock, but Wimbledon finished 7th in the league that season. Um, so, you know, I don't think... It, in, terms of what it was at the time it was that much of a yeah, shock yeah but Liverpool were used to turning up for finals and, and winning them and yeah. obviously this was Wimbledon's first big mm. final so I think Liverpool were heavy favourites yeah and I think so. what we'll look at in just a, a little bit as well I think they played five times or something and Wimbledon won three of them well the um, thing is if you go like if you play the way that Wimbledon played which was basically mixed martial arts yeah. <laughs> you, you can win cup games I mean yeah. it's, it's not going to win your season but 7th is yeah, yeah. pretty tidy I mean I, I love the, the fact that, that there is um, um, Finney Jones talks about it and they, they don't hide the fact that the way they played oh aye they say we're, we're going to stop what's that magic clip of him being him? sent off after 8 seconds or something well, I think was, was he sent off or was he booked for it was he, I don't think I he was sent off it'll be utterly scared would have been sending off now it was, they took the I think was it not the final well, he was sent off in one game after a few seconds, I think. But in the final, I clatters Steve McMahon because he said he wanted to go off. and lay his, his marker down yeah. early yeah. doors. Because well, uh, I can picture in my head, he's, he's basically, they've taken the kickoff, it went back, and he's just went through them and just, he's got up and sort of kept, kept his head down a bit and started running back into <laughs> position. And I don't think he even got talked to. No, I don't no. think. But it seems yeah. you watch Steve McMahon just get straight back up. Yeah. I know if anyone still talks about it, they, he clatters McMahon and then he sh- that's well, we, can, right for the off. Can I give you a, a wee insight into, in, into my, my acting skills? That's the exact <laughs> incident I was thinking of when Naveed does the two-footer <laughs> in the hockey football game. You'll notice I don't even wait for reaction from the referee. I just walk off the pitch because I know. Yeah. yeah. Channeling your inner Vinny. Yeah. Um, watch out Wimbledon. So McMahon discusses the opposition. He says, revenge is in the Wembley air this weekend. They were gutted at losing the final and they were upset by the defeat but also by the fact that they didn't play to their full potential. They stopped us playing and defended superbly, he says. Some of our players will be extra keen to put in a good performance to make up for the disappointing displays in the final. Um, as I mentioned, the past meetings between 86 and 87, um, Wimbledon won, Liverpool 3, Liverpool won, Wimbledon 2, 87 88, Wimbledon 2, Liverpool 1, Liverpool 2, Wimbledon 1, Wimbledon 1, Liverpool 0. So close games, all of them, and, you know... To say over five games that Wimbledon have come out on top is, is quite a, a yeah. statement for them. 
Um, so a spoiler on the on the charity shield final. It was two one two Liverpool. So they won that at Wembley in front of fifty four fifty five thousand fans. But Wimbledon took the lead in seventeen minutes when Fashion scored. So I can imagine at the time they probably thought, "Well, here we go again." A quick equaliser from Aldrich and a second twenty minutes from time was enough for Liverpool to get the revenge. So if we move on to page six. Um, match are, are um, giving themselves a wee bit of a, a big up here. They say, Welcome to 12,549 <laughs> new readers. Yeah. So it's obviously a big day in the office for them then. So, match is celebrating an increase in readers of 15% on the same amount of a year previously. They say the increase is more than three times that of their nearest rival. So that's obviously shoot, shoot. they're talking about. So, um, yeah, the, the, obviously a lot of rivalry, rivalry going on there. They then look at what's coming up next week. Um, all right, this this is maybe giving it away. So 56-page bumper issue. You've got a free match facts football yearbook, 12 free sticker stars, and the start of the souvenir, the season souvenir pullout. So I'm guessing, you know, they said next week there's free gift. I guess that's when they're giving the details of that. So the yearbook itself has carefully been designed to enable every fan to keep a match-by-match record of his or her team's season along with spaces for the sticker stars. A total of 48 stickers to come over the next few weeks. Um, so, so they would have been in all-season competition with Figaro and Panini then, if they're, if they're doing their version of stickers? I, 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 don't think, I don't think they would have been even in that market. This, this, it so I, don't even, I don't even recall these magazines doing stickers, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I've, I've, I mean, I've, I've got some of them, and the, the, they're pretty much just basic... Stickers, um, you know, a little bit of design to them. Sometimes they've just got a border around them. Uh-huh. So it, a bit half arsed. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. like just what we're going to put on the front. But I, I don't think they would have even considered, you know, being in competition with with Panini and stuff. But I mean, they would have given the the Panini stuff away when they first came out as well. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd imagine to get that contract, they probably wouldn't have been allowed to yeah. do anything These like stickers that. would be coming with match yeah. every week. You, yeah. wouldn't, you wouldn't be buying them separate? No. No, they, they wouldn't be available. They'd basically, they'd be in sheets. So you get a sheet of maybe three or three, six or nine stickers. I'm thinking one of the editorial team are just making them at home, aren't they? So sort of fashioning them. Aye, yeah. like that. Tongue hanging out in a pair of crimping <laughs> scissors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So page seven, just to jump to there, and it's um, we're still on the Wimbledon, Vinnie Jones. And he says, we don't care if we lose 6-0. So Vinny says, maybe this time we'll walk out of Wembley Tunnel with our FA Cup winners medals around our necks. It sounds very uh, much the Wimbledon way at the time that they would they would do something like that. Vinny Jones doesn't care if Liverpool win 6-0 in the charity shield as they have already won the big one. We can afford to treat this weekend as a day out in the August sunshine. It doesn't mean we won't be trying. We will play our usual hustle and bustle game. We will concentrate on stopping Liverpool rather than attacking against them. So again, that that's just that's the honesty of the man just saying, listen, we, we know we know what our limitations are, we know what our, our good things are, and we'll just do it again. Um so just looking at Vinnie Jones, full name Vincent Peter Jones. He was born in Watford in nineteen sixty-five. He started his career at Wheelstone, he was a couple of years there, and interestingly he went to Sweden um, for IFK Holmesund where he played 21 games and scored one goal before um, making his mark at Wimbledon between 86 and 89. 
He then moved on to teams such as Leeds United, Sheffield United, Chelsea, Wimbledon, QPR, and um, as well as that, he had 38 appearances for Wales and scored nine goals in that time. So that's not too bad. He's a, scored a return. nine goals for Wales? Yeah. Wow, didn't know that. Is that right? That doesn't sound... Well, to, to be fair, when I was checking my facts, I had it round the other way. I had He played nine and scored uh. 38 goals. <laughs> so... I've maybe transposed it um, incorrectly. Um, and let, let's check that live. Yeah, let's check Tom. that. Tom. And also, it was him that worked in a building site, wasn't it? Was he not a hard carrier? I think so, yeah, yeah that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, but he played, well, he played well over 200 times for Wimbledon over two spells. And um, his film career began with lock, stock and two smoking barrels, so he's obviously... Get nine caps for Wales and scored 38 career goals. Ah! Hey, OK, I see, uh, where, I see where my mistake is there. Okay. Nine, nine goals for Wales, I mean, that's a pretty, <laughs> pretty good return. Yeah, yeah, that's probably top ten Wales goal scorers. OK, don't worry, as, as you see every week, we'll edit that out and we won't. <laughs> He was sent off 12 times in his career as well. Listen, any of this could be fact-checked <laughs> um, and probably put in my place. So. Well, I've got a wee corrections and omissions bit on the website, so... You yeah. see a wee bit. That's, that's the website. Now, that's interesting, right? Sent off 12 times. I'm just thinking aloud now. When when did two yellows equal a red? When did that come in? I mean, do you know what I mean? Was yeah. it always the case that two yellows were red or was it always a straight red? Do you know what... I, let me think about this because I remember there was an article where it was actually about the introduction of cards, different colours. You know, so it's like it's fascinating things like that where it's like, well, we just take it for granted that it's two yellow cards mm. and a red. But there was a point where that thing didn't even happen. Yeah. You might have got booked and you might have got sent Aye. off, but yeah. there was no visual display. So it was, of it was it. after the nineteen seventy World Cup, the guy that came up with it based it on traffic lights. Yeah, apparently that's right. he sat at the traffic was, lights. Yeah, and, and up with apparently amber. His, his wife went into the back room or something and just cut some card out and said, There you go and use it. And that's how it was born. And then she made some stickers for <laughs> See, I can't yeah, I can't listen, I can't spend too much time in these cards. I'm doing all these stickers. <laughs> okay. So page eight. I'm going to go into Dear Emlyn. So this is Emlyn Hughes' um, letters page. And I'm only going to pick out one of the, the letters from here simply because it's so... Um, well, let's let's just go through it. So E. Bradley from Bath. He's not even brave enough to give his first name. <laughs> and he says, Instead of a penalty shootout to decide important matches, how about appointing a panel of judges? <laughs> yeah. They would take into account how a match has gone, who had the most shots, bookings, corners, etc., Emlyn's response, absolutely not. Penalties are as good a situation as many. Can you imagine Scottish football? Oh, my God. A panel of people saying, right, OK, it's ended one each. Let's go into a weed room here oh. and come up with a winner. You, you imagine, though, as well, just with social networking as well, how their um, histories would be taken apart, <laughs> which pubs they drink yeah. in, who they drink with. You'd have to, they'd have to be anonymous. You'd have to go yeah. in like the... the the, the axemen or the, the hatchet men before with the hood on yeah and you know the, you could, there's no way you could know who it was but then then you get the man the manager said we should know their names I think <laughs> Alan McCoy did that once time didn't he um, when there was a it was a yeah. panel and things like that but it's like why would you even come up with that as an idea and well unless unless you've been beaten on penalties I think that's the only reason that well you but I mean before penalty shoot there was a coin toss yeah. But yeah. games were decided 
on the toss of a I th- coin. I think did Rangers not win on the on the, on the way to the European well, Cup? Well, Cup? Celtic won on the way to the nineteen seventy European Cup against Benfica on the toss of a coin, and Rangers on the way to seventy two. Uh, they had a yeah they they were they won in a a coin toss as well think, yeah. the, the seventy two final. But it's like it's like the most the least sporting way to win something is just well fifty fifty there we go. Well did it no sorry because Celtic petitioned after the nineteen seventy final to get the rules changed to come up and it was after the nineteen seventy European Cup final that they come up with the penalty, penalty, shoot penalty, penalty shootout. So that was the first penalty shootout. Oh, oh when it came into effect. Mm. Yeah. Because uh, Rangers had an incident the way at the 72 final where the referee didn't realise that they'd won away goals. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And they played a penalty shootout and Rangers lost the penalty shootout and it was a journalist, a Scottish journalist that came out of the dressing room to tell uh, Willie Waddle, you, you won, you've actually <laughs> won away goals. Can you imagine that? And it got overturned? Yeah, it got overturned because wow. they shouldn't have went to a penalty shootout. There you go. I, I, I long for that amateur um, <laughs> approach to refereeing. Yeah. Bring yeah. that back. <laughs> That's hilarious. Right. Uh, so on to page nine. So we've got a full page colour photograph of Dave Watson, England and Everton, in his England kit. Um, now based on there's a red sock and this is this is me doing my CSI uh, Clyde Bank here. <laughs> based on the red sock blurred in the background, I'm gonna say that was against yes, Scotland. Scotland. Oh yeah. okay. So in fact, that does look like... Are you going to give us a name? Because <laughs> I'm a bit of a foot fetishist. <laughs> I'm thinking that that foot belongs to Dave Nery. There, I've said it. There's absolutely no way we can disprove that. Or, or prove it. <laughs> the, the burden is on you to disprove well, exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'll go for that. So yeah. Dave, Dave Watson was... Dave bought, Watson, I. I, He could header a ball, that boy. There, there was... I think I had a shoot annual. I'd one or two of them. And they, would, they had this kind of Dave Watson heading masterclass. <laughs> And I think in the kind of, the, he was talking about, he was pointing to his forehead like that, that's where you make contact, that bit of the spam there, and pointing yeah. between the eyebrows. But I, th- I think I'm right in saying that he scored a header from something like the, he- the halfway line once <laughs> with this technique. So it was, it, it, I suppose it was the 1988 version of knuckleball. You know, he'd yeah. found like a, a technique with his head we could score from distance. And that was, yeah, that was Dave Watson. Put yeah. a unit of a man, look at him. Yeah, I mean, he, he had a, a really good... He was born in Liverpool. He started the Liverpool reserves um, for a couple of seasons. He moved to Norwich City, where he played 212 league games, scoring 11 goals, um, which wasn't bad for a, a centre-back. Then he moved to Everton, and he was there from 86 to 2001, and he played 419 yeah. league games, scoring 23 goals. And so, he played for England and he scored 96 goals for England. <laughs> well, by, by, by my facts here, it could well have. So he actually, he played. He did play for England 12 times. And he Only 12 never, times? And he never scored a goal. Only, Only 12 times? Only 12 times, yeah. Who was keeping him out then? Who would have been the centre, who would have been the centre-half's of choice then? Matt Wright. Matt Wright. Oh, did, was that, that early that Matt Wright was... Well, I mean, the, this would have been 84 to 88. And Terry Butcher would have... I suppose, yeah, right enough, yeah, 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 yeah. There as well. Um, he was player manager for a period at Everton in 97, and he managed Tranmere Rovers for a year. So he, he made 256 appearances for Norwich City in total, and he moved for 900,000 when he moved to Everton. Wow. He's got honours for Norwich. He won the Milk Cup in 1985 and won the second division championship in 1986 before moving to Everton, where he then won the first division championship in 1987. So I'm one. So basically he's won 
the second division and the first division in successive seasons with different, with different clubs. And that that's what my question is: Has yeah. this ever happened in Scotland or England that a player has won the title in both? Um, I, I guess I mean Clybank did it coming up, but they never did it through at the top top division. But it really would be an interesting one if we could think of anybody. And if if you're out there and you have anything, um, let us know on Twitter or or send a letter or postcard. Um, but yeah, it's a fascinating one. Um, so he's he's had a really good career there. So, and he, so he played for Everton for fifteen years, 15. and he had nearly three hundred appearances for Norwich. Yeah. So he must have been playing for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, he started. He went came senior in nineteen eighty. So a twenty one wow. year career. Must have looked after himself. Um, but in the later on, so so they won the the first division in eighty seven, and then obviously in in the. Ninety five, I think it was. Everton won the FA Cup and the Charity Cup, Shield yeah. that year as well. And he was uh, there for both of them. Yeah, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? And he was a regular in the Everton side even at the age of thirty seven. So wow. he did play to quite a, an age. And his brother Alex was a player at Bournemouth and Torquay, amongst other ones. So oh, well, that's that's brutal for Alex, though, isn't it? <laughs> Utterly brutal. Yeah, he's like the third Gallagher brother. Because there is one, you know, there's a third Gallagher brother. Yeah, and, yeah. That they would kind of give management jobs to. But he was clearly a total waster. I didn't. I didn't. Oh know. no! They were just like oh, they have a job, and you would you can manage this band. Hey, there you go. There you go. Not patronising in the slightest. Such a wee shame. It'd, oh, it'd be it'd be bad having a wiki page where on the very first sentence there's a link to a more famous brother. He's the brother of. Oh, do you know what I mean? You know? Yeah. Ask my brother about it. He's billing. <laughs> there's there's also there was a third chocolate brother lest we forget. That wasn't involved in the business at all. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't what? Not the funny one. Or? The, he was, well, he's probably was the funny one. There's a third Charlton brother as well. That's right. He's a third Charlton brother. Yeah. God, imagine being a third Charlton. Brother. <laughs> <laughs> and did he play football? So. Hope he didn't. Uh, but they like being pulled ugly. See, see, the thing is, I, I don't know if you've seen the, the photographs of the, the young Charltons playing with their mum. No. And the, 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 the mum's gone up for a header with him, right? And you never see the third one in there. It's, he's probably just never got involved and he never played with it. But that, that photo, I'll, I'll tweet it oh. out to you, but it's he's an absolute cracker. Football, loser's game. But it, it's the way the mother's gone in as well. It's Aye. like she's taking no prisoners. It's like elbows up and everything. It's taking no prisoners. I want to see that picture. <laughs> um, so on to page 10, and we've got an advert here, and it's sports shoes in Bradford. So Nike boots and trainers. Still relatively low key in the style with some strong colours, especially underneath. So this, so I, I, um, I've, as I say, I've, I've lived down in uh, Yorkshire for the last twenty one years, and when I first moved down, it was Bradford, and I, I probably lived in Bradford 10, 10, 11 years or something, maybe a bit longer. And this sports shoes place was a big store in Bradford at the time. So well, they're, uh, they're calling it the largest sports shoe retail outlet in the world. Yeah. Oh, it's. It, it, it's it's been in magazines for years, and um, quite often they would do like brochures that would be in it, or just you know double page spreads. It was and like, it was like, like a Scruffit's catalogue of just trainers and yeah. boots. I mean, it's it's the sort of thing that, that people now salivate over, going, "Oh, look at this! This is absolutely brilliant." I mean, the store is still there, uh-huh. um, but it's I, I can't remember what it is now. But I've I've been in it a few times to get you know goalie tops or mm-hmm. football boots and stuff like that. And I think at one point, I don't know if it's in this, but in another one they said 20,000 pairs of shoes in stock. What? Because I've got a theory, you know, they say that Slater's menswear is the largest, like, outfitter in Europe. Mm. And you think to yourself, well, you look at the building, where are they putting all these suits? Do they, do they have to, <laughs> to burrow downwards? Yeah. And do they, do they lose 500 suits every day to the 
melting of the Earth's core or something. <laughs> so it may be the same. They, they lose boots, they just get melted because yeah. they're too close to the Earth's core. That's a lot of it's a lot of boots. A lot of boots. Yeah. And some lovely looking ones. I like, I'm liking these Euro fire trainers. Yeah. They're quite smart, aren't they? I mean, I th- as I said, I think at this point, there's, they're starting to get a bit bolder with the colours. Mm-hmm. But it, it's not... Mm-hmm. It's a lot. It's hiding underneath on the sole. Was the Aye. where the colours you never, are. You would never have white or orange boots in those days, would you? Mm. They would be black with oh, yeah. the detail, and that's yeah. that's as far as you yeah. would go. That's what you say. There's, there's a yellow swoosh and a blue swoosh. Yeah. Yeah. So you think, and this is the first sort of pushing the yeah. popularising the colour. I do. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd have been quite happy if it stayed like that. <laughs> um, so are you a fan of coloured boots? Andrew? I I. I, it's a weird thing, I don't think, I, I, unfortunately, I like my clothes far too much and I don't think I suit black boots. Right, okay. So, but, but the problem is I'm not a good enough footballer to wear anything but black boots because the minute you start going to colour, like, ah, here he comes, Billy Big Boss. Um, you've seen me play, I'm pretty pedestrian. So I should really begin out with carpet slippers. But, um, I, so I, I have, I've got, um, I've got black boots with a, with a wee bit of a white striped action. Um, but what was really cute was is that my wee boy Venice, he's just turned thirteen, and we went to Sports Direct to buy him new boots because he's he's got plates like he, plates of meat like a clown. He could he could represent the letter L in Sesame Street. He's huge feet, hmm. so we're always having to replenish his boots. So we went in to get him new boots, and I thought, well, I'm still playing fives and sevens, and mine's a bit tight. We end up buying the same boots, <laughs> which is really quite cute. Um, but I, I couldn't justify wearing white or. It's interesting that you use the the, the phrase "it's pleats" there. Aye. Well, pleats of meat rather than pleats, because pleats are the, is it cleats? Oh, the, cleats, the, that's Cleats are the cycling yeah, ones, yeah, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. No, it's just that cleats seem to be a, a, a something that I didn't realise what they were um, as a as a youngster, even into my, my early 30s and stuff. And it, I think it is an American mm. side of things. And it, so it was just, so you said pleats. Plate, plates of meat, fleet, feet. I was, yeah, I'm, doing, plates, I'm, I'm, I'm doing that, right. I'm doing that. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, I, I still to the day don't know why Cockney Rhyming slang took off from Glasgow, but it, <laughs> it? it really, really did. Badly. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, God rest Derek Akora, but I still use his name for chicken pakora. <laughs> so in terms of boots, and you say um, you don't suit black boots. I don't know why they they, they they make I don't they just what's your color of choice that's my question <sighs> what's, what's the most what's, what's the, the the one that you've bought and thought tried it on and thought no I can't do this I, I, I tried on some white ones and yeah. I thought no I can't I, they're just too ostentatious yeah. I, I don't have the skills to justify you, wearing I think you've boots. got to have that me- metaphorical wand of a about, yeah. don't you? You've got, to, yeah, yeah. You've got to be able to put it in a six pin so all these I mean? things if I was Tom Rockets maybe or Charlie <laughs> Nicholas but I'm not yeah. You know, I'm pretty leaden, so <laughs> I should be wearing workies, workies boots. Listen, I, I, I keep, I keep um, singing your praises about that one nutmeg in Aye. that game we played, which yeah. uh, which was caught on was it? picture. Yeah, was yeah. it actually? Yeah. Right, I want to see that. Okay, so, so you want to tell the listeners where uh, we've played with Sanjeev? Yeah, so um, last year we, we we played in a, a charity junior legends um, tournament um, that was run by Robert Burns. And I, I helped him. I did the program for it as well. But we sorted out the Clay Bank team, and basically I picked the Clay Bank team, <laughs> which meant I played for the Clay Bank team. Which meant Tom played, which means Sanji came along. Yeah, and was we, brilliant. we discovered when we got there that we they were the only team we know in professional yeah. players. Well, they were not taking it seriously. Craig Beatty cut up, uh, yeah. up. Uh, I mean, he's a oh, was it Katongo was there as yeah. well, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. And it's like they were all taking it seriously, yeah. and we we're like, "Hey, come on, let's get the crowds in." Yeah. Well, obviously not for us, but like for Sanjeev and Simon, and, and you know some of the older Clay Bank players. And, and although like, we said it, it was set as over thirty-five, so we were an over forty-five <laughs> team. <laughs> and who did we have up front for us? 
Um, well, we had um, Mark Hailstones. Mark Hailstones. That was it. Cause I was thinking, oh, how do you get that nickname? No, that's my surname. <laughs> 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 yeah, well, he scored the only, he scored the only goal yeah, that we scored. Yeah. Didn't we? I mean, we, we conceded a few. Yeah, Mark played for Claybank when oh, Clay, Claybank uh, got to the Scottish Junior Cup final, oh. two thousand nine. He played for Claybank, but his whole sort of junior career. Yeah, He's one of the f- only f- the fourth player to get a testimonial for, mm. for Claybank. Wow. Wow. I, I personally think he just wasn't getting the service from the rest it, of the team. I've done a great one too. <laughs> <laughs> and we had uh, Davy Lloyd and uh, Lex Grant, who played for Claybank yeah. in the eighties. Yeah. Claybank in the Premier League. Uh, the, the Jack brothers, Alan Jack and John Jack. Yeah, they had um, Budgie, Budgie, Budgie McGee, and Stuart Allison. Yeah. Yeah. was Budgie's assistant when he was mm. manager. Well, we'd have struggled if Stuart wasn't there in defence. Help me out. <laughs> Yeah, and you and, and you and goal. Me and goal, yeah. We did concede quite a few, yeah. but we'd have I had a roving commission, <laughs> as Jock Brown used to call it. Yeah. Aye. So moving on to page ten here. No, we're on page ten. We'll move on to page twelve instead. Um, so this is win a training day with Emlyn. So Emlyn uses the the big thing at the moment. I, I, when would he have started doing the question of sport? Oh God! Yeah, when it started, I, did yeah. 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 That's what I know him really yeah. from. Yeah. Question of sport. So I. I, I He'd probably been around about this time that he would have been. It would have been, wouldn't it? Because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about Bill Bowman. Was no, it? No, no, he would. He would. I used to watch Question of Sport when I was about eleven or twelve. Right. I'm thinking about eighty, eighty-one. He started. And he is it. All right. So, so that he would oh, have I been think doing he'd it be well years. established yeah. by eighty-eight. Yeah. Yeah. But it was Bill Bowman who was on the other side. Bill Bowman and Emlyn used. Oh no, no, hold on, Billy Carson. Carson. Ah, so Billy Carson. But who are the captains? Because. Um, 1968 was what? the first time it was yeah, broadcast. But, oh my God, but that, I'm assuming that was David Coleman presenting it, but who'd have been the captains in 68? Stuart Hall. Oh. Stuart Hall, yeah. Okay. We're the oh, only ones well that can off. hear that, by the way. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to repeat everything oh, she says right, for, right, the, right. for the benefits. <laughs> so Emily Hughes was I can't even remember what you said. Hold on, I can't remember what was said. What was, um, can we... 68 was when it first came out, um, and 70 was the first series, and David Vine... <laughs> Henry Cooper, Cliff Morgan. I'm just, just spitballing this off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> uh, that's right. So I am. Um, no, I didn't forget about that. So, uh, Emily, Emily Hughes was a captain from '79 to '81. Oh, I called it. I called it. I said '79. I called it. Thank and you. and then again, 1984 to 1988. So was he so, up against Bill Bowman or Willie Carson? Uh, Gareth Edwards. Yes. '79-'81. Willie Carson was '82-'83. Bill was Bowman. Was it only a year? Willie Carson. That's... Bill Bowman '82 to '96. Yeah, I would have thought Willie Carson had a longer run than that. Yeah. But, but I don't know. I always felt, I always felt Bill Bowman was a, a really straight Aye. sort of guy. There and also, not a, lot, a lot of people, a lot of people in English rugby are just really arrogant. <laughs> aren't they? Are though? Aren't they? I was chatting to. Um, in fact, I went. I did a charity um, thing called the Wooden Spoon. There's a lot of Scottish rugby guys involved, and it was um, Andy Nicholl. Um, he used to play for Scotland, and he was talking about Jeremy Guska, who really is yeah. really arrogant. Um, and it's worse when he's a, obviously a summariser and commentator because mm-hmm. you know it's unfettered then. And um, Andy Nicholl did a great line. He said. Uh, yeah, Jeremy Guska, he's, he's a hard man to ignore, but trust me, it's worth the effort. <laughs> a great line. Yeah. Now, Ali McCoy was a captain, 96 to 2007. Whoa. Wow. See, I, I wasn't really watching it by then, just... Yeah. So I, I wouldn't have realised he'd had such a long... Such a long run, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And that's soon he went straight from the Rangers bench to <laughs> a nice comfy seat in the studio. <laughs> yeah, some say he should have stayed there. <laughs> Certainly my brother would say he should have stayed in... 
question of sport coming back into his club. He's chat show as well. With mm, with, Fred, with Ali, with Fred, Fred McCauley. Oh, and the, see, yeah. this this would have been something. So there's been quite a few shows I would have missed having been in England. Yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. And um, you know, this was before iPlayer and all that stuff as well. So things like that. Um, yeah, it's all about his show business before he decided mm. to go into coaching. Yeah. Well, to be fair, I mean, Alan McCoyce is absolutely brilliant in terms of oh, being I, that person. Oh, no, he is. He's naturally funny and he's very televisual, for yeah. want of a better word. Um, but um, I, Emily, Oh, here's a little known fact about Emlyn Hughes. If you pour water on him, he multiplies. <laughs> God, I, I need more information. Than Sorry, that. Gremlin Hughes. Oh. oh, come on, you must have seen that one Goodness. coming. <laughs> Thanks, thank you for being there. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll like that when it appears like on Twitter that, later on. Yeah. Done it already. <laughs> We've just heard some of your uh, your, your comedy chats, Sanjeev. Can we just turn to your uh, your career a wee bit? Uh, so you're probably best known for Still Game, yes. but I think uh, coming up closely behind that in terms of sort of national treasure status is Fags, Mags and Bags. Well, I, I hope so, because that's my baby. Yeah. Because that's um, I originate uh, co wrote and originated it with Donnie McClear yeah. who plays Dave in the show so I always say that um, I mean I absolutely adore still game but it's like my nephew you know or I was the midwife I was the midwife I was Ford Greg of the midwife and the mother and the father I was just in the room but Fags Magnet Bags I actually do um, co-write and uh, co-created and, so it's up to its ninth series yeah we recorded the ninth one we did it at the back end of November there so at the minute they've just stopped repeating series 8 on Radio 4 and then they're going to uh, put and I think it's still on four extra, and then they're going to put series nine out in April, I think. So I we've had it's, it's weird. It's had a similar sort of um, track record to Still Game in the sense that we did it for five years and then we didn't do it for four years, and then we picked up again. So there was, there was a bit of a gap, um, and I play a shopkeeper in both of them. <laughs> um, um, and uh, the, the weird thing is, is though that uh, w when we um, like because we had a shop, I've always been obsessed with shops. I knew, I know there's loads of material in, in it, and you know, obviously, in still game, you get snapshots of it. But I, I knew for a fact that we could have an entire sitcom set in a shop. Yeah. I'd actually written another one, I think, called The Nation of Shopkeepers back in, Christ, was that 1999? And then um, what had happened was was that um, Donnie and I um, had written a sitcom pilot. We'd called it Ruby, and it was about. Uh, a female Asian um, actress, um, a female actress, well done, Sanj, um, <laughs> who um, I think you meant to say actor now anyway, female actor yeah, rather yeah. than, anyway, a female Asian actor, there you go, um, who wasn't getting quite enough work, so um, she was she was also working, doing shifts in her dad's shop, and uh, the, the scene that we wrote was, with the, she, she goes into her shop and her dad says, you think this is beneath you, don't you? You know, what, what you don't know is that the shopkeeping is very sophisticated. I have to do acting to sell things. And he does this whole thing where, where, where he he creates a scenario and manages to sex, successfully sell a, a milk tray, which is out of date. So um, <laughs> the, the producer, uh, the comedy unit, Colin Gilbert at the time, said that those three pages are the funniest bit of the script with the daughter and, and the dad in the shop. Why don't you just set it in the shop? And I said, yeah, why don't we just set it in the shop? And I thought, well, I'm known for playing a shopkeeper already. <laughs> Um, but what we did was we just wrote it and I said, I'll just try and make him as different from Naveed as possible. So Naveed's very, very sarcastic and good and uh, he's that duty bastard. Um, but this, the mesh, he has a smile on his face and he's very much about, you, you bought a, a tea bag, why not some Jaffa cake to help you with the tea? And <laughs> what about a nice take-a-break to enjoy? So he's all about um, community spirit. And oh yeah, he's obviously trying to sell stuff as well, but we describe fags, mags and bags as being like a dry cheers so it's the shop where everyone knows your name. Mm. And 
that's the thing I knew from being a shopkeeper. And I was just saying to you about the name on the yeah. front of this as well, is you know everyone's business. So I know that Derek Mortimer likes his football. Mm -hmm. So I've already got that knowledge is power thing. So if you are in a shop, if you know what magazines people buy, you know, I've always said this, if someone comes into a shop and buys Lucasade and a bumper puzzler, it's a hospital visit, right? Yeah. So you know that, you got that power. It's whether you use that for good or for bad. <laughs> and Ramesh and Dave use it for good because they, and also we set it in Lindsay, which is a smaller community where everyone's nice to each other. Mm. I've since found out that people in Lindsay aren't nice to each other. <laughs> but you know, at the time we thought rather than set it in Glasgow, which had a reputation for any, anything that came out of Glasgow, like drama was a bit gritty and heroiny. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll put it in Lindsay. And people think we made up the name of Lindsay. It sounds like, <laughs> it's not, it's there on the map. People go past it on the train. Well, it's a real place. Um, so that was the kind of ethos of Fags, Mags and Bags. And um, thankfully people got that it's, even though it's set in a corner shop and it's very everyday. I mean, my, my thing about corner shops is, is that, yeah, you go in and you buy like a pot noodle and you buy um, uh, sellotape and that. But also you go to the, the chocolate bit, right? Mars bar, Galaxy, Milky Way. These are quite aspirational ideas, you know, like the idea that you'd call a chocolate a galaxy, I mean, that's quite <laughs> high concept. And then you go to the crisps. It's like, you know, chicken astronauts and uh, or chocolate tools. I mean, the very fact that someone thought, let's let's miniaturise a tractor into the shape of chocolate, and you're just like very absently just putting that in your bag. And so I think there's a brilliant uh, counter, uh, the juxtaposition of surreal and everyday. And that's what I always liked about shops. Mm. And we kind of do that with the show as well, where you've got these rumbling storylines, but also quite surreal shit going on. Um, and uh, yeah, ninth series we've done now, and it's kind of won awards and nearly won other awards. And yeah. uh, we did it at Edinburgh for the first time last year. Okay. We did like an hour-long version um, at the Fringe, which was my first Edinburgh. So that was that was uh, interesting, good fun. Um, we were thinking of maybe doing it again uh, this year. So uh, it's been it's been good. It's been so good. how do you how do you and Donny write together? Do you sit in the same room? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, there are you know there are ways you can do it where you don't do that. I mean, uh, Richard Curtis and Ben Elton when they used to do Blackadder, what they would do was they would do three scripts each and they would send it to the other so one to do, and, and then they weren't allowed. They, they had the last word mm. on the other person's script, and that's a good way of doing it actually, because yeah, yeah. it's a two tick system, uh, and that works the same with me and Donny. But um, we get together. And we'll we'll do a standard sort of three hours a day because I think you get three hours of good creative time. The rest is a bit like kind of it's not brilliant. Uh, and also, if you know you're doing three hours, then it's not like the whole day stretching ahead of you. You know, you know you've got the afternoon. You can still watch Countdown. It's very important. Us, Ford and Greg, they insist on watching Countdown no matter what they're working on. Um, so um, uh, yeah, we'll do three hours a day. We'll get together. I usually go to Donny's, um, and um, yeah, it's, it's brilliant because. The format of the show, it's almost like we can talk about really kind of niche, half-baked things and it immediately qualifies as dialogue in Fags, Mags and Bags because <laughs> of the way we set it up. Because you love Ramesh and Dave in the shop just talking about stuff. Like, when does this Hatsuma become a tangerine? When does tangerine become a clementine? And then you have this, you've got three pages on <laughs> the difference between a clementine and a Satsuma. And we end up with the, what was it called, the... The the uh, the citrus subo citrum uh, citrum spectrum or something we came up with some <laughs> nonsense, but it is it's a good kind of nonsense generator and we and just us chatting about stuff. I mean, Donnie's obsessed with science fiction. I'm more about music, and so any science fiction or Doctor Who references I use from Donnie, any music. I mean, I I always try to shoehorn music into the show. Like, in fact, I was listening to an old episode today because um, trying to get inspiration for the for the Edinburgh show this year. 
and uh, we'd written a thing about um, uh, the um, Sanjay. So Sanjay's the son. He's kind of work shy kind of son, who whose son uh, whose friend is called Gribo, and uh, they're all about like social networking and getting likes and and, and Insta and all that. <laughs> And so they're trying to get uh, 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 Facebook um, members, and they're, and they're kind of struggling. Uh, at the same time, you've got this other storyline where um, uh, cat food—what do you call it? Caticus cat food are running a, a competition, uh, and the cutest cat will be on the tins. And so um, at that time, everyone—they still are they're obsessed with cats on the internet. So what the two boys decide is that they're going to kind of piggyback on that action, and they end up doing a cat rap. Which I very gladly wrote, and I, I was listening to it today. I thought that's actually bloody good. I've <laughs> nailed that cat rap, um, and um, so all any musical references tend to come from me, and the science fiction comes from Donny. Um, and uh, but it's just an utter joy. I mean, Radio Four just let us run with it, really. Um, and uh, you know, we can we got away with. I'm pretty sure that we showcased the word fud on Radio Four. I'm pretty sure because <laughs> I don't think I don't think they knew what it meant. <laughs> So um, I he, biscuits is a wee fud. Biscuits is a cat. He's a wee fud. We got past compliance. So I know it's a lot of fun. Okay, um, we'll just go back into this in a moment, and then we'll come on to we want to do a focus on. But I just want to mm-hmm. since we're on the Emily Hughes page. Yeah. Also, so, do, also don't feed him chicken before midnight. Yeah. Or right. put water on him. That, right. right. that is really important. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're still winning. <laughs> <laughs> So the football trivia line is back and it's better than ever, it says. It's hosted <laughs> yeah, by Emlyn Hughes with great new prizes, including a special added value exclusive to match readers. So there's a weekly cash payout of £250, which is... That's tidy for nine years, isn't brilliant, it? brilliant, yeah. But as we go through this, you'll see how difficult it is to get there. And there's daily prize of £25. So winners and follow me. You try and follow me on this. Winners who claim the prize using the special voucher at the bottom of the page will also win a fabulous training day with Emily Hughes. The venue will be a top soccer school, and the cost of travel to and from the school will be included. Now Emily gives you three possible answers, and you choose one using the phone buttons. Although I, th- I think it's a, at the time it would have been dials, I guess. Get it right, and you move on to the next question. Get it wrong and your call ends. Answer as many consecutively as possible. If your score is the highest of the day or the week, then Emlyn will tell you, along with a personal code that you send with the date and time to computer dial in Surrey. Okay, we're following this so far? If no one beats your score with a higher claim, the prize is yours. Don't forget to include the voucher. 25 pence per minute evenings and weekends, 38 pence per minute, 8am to 6pm on weekdays. So you can get off that phone after answering 50 questions and you've paid God knows how much right. in bills and it says, eh, you're the winner or whatever. Yeah. That's, that's my mind, you in person. I don't even why I, I tried that. But the fact is, you think, yeah, I'm the winner, but at the end of the week, Aye. somebody else I may have won good. it. It's just, it's like... Yeah, it's genius, is what it is. Ah, it's, it's a yeah, money, it's, it's a, a money, money spinner. Spinner. That's yeah. what it is. But it's like, nah, I'm sorry, I, you know. Yeah, you I, said that with the bitterness of someone that tries, <laughs> did you? One, one answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, so right, so be aware of match. Have them, but it's not called focus on. It's called um, can't remember. What super it's called. focus. Super, is it called super focus? All right. Um, so there's the focus on whether it's a player and they ask them questions. So yeah. I'm going to 
do it to you here. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to, bunch of questions, you just answer away. If there's any you don't want to answer, Aye. then feel free but not is it, to. This isn't one of these like one word answer ones. Like, it yeah. can be, it okay. can be, yeah. yeah. So full name. Full name, Sanjeev Singh Kohli, uh, um, uh, Pinochet the Third. <laughs> <laughs> that's good because the thing is I, I, mock, I mock them up in the same style so I put the answers on so that's gone on it I'm sorry if you say it, it's gone on it birthplace uh, London first car oh Christ uh, Vauxhall Astra favourite player of all time George Best favourite team Celtic most memorable match Celtic Valencia 4-3 okay. biggest thrill in your life Biggest thrill in my life? Oh, blimey. Um, I recently just, out with my married life, I recently worked with Amanda Iannucci and Hugh Laurie on a thing called Avenue 5. Yeah, I was watching that just the other uh, night there. And that was quite surreal and amazing. So uh, that's got to be up there. But also, um, although I love playing the Vid, um, I also did another job where I synthesised a Patel and mm -hmm. the show could look around you. Uh, and uh, that's been amazing as well because that was... 16 years ago and still people yeah. will, like, sort of talk about it so that's mm. nice okay what's um, your biggest disappointment biggest disappointment um, okay yeah this okay, this takes a bit of telling okay so um, I got asked by Radio Scotland to uh, as a comedy writer to present this show called Laughed Off the Page where I would interview other comedy writers and I, I said, you mean more successful ones? And they said, well, <laughs> well, yeah. So he said, give us a wish list. So I gave him the wish list and, and on that list was Graham Lennon and Arthur Matthews, the writers of Father Ted and the IT crowd. And I got to interview uh, uh, Graham Lennon. So I'm in the Glasgow studio, he's in the London studio. And um, uh, so uh, we're chatting away and I, I know my stuff. So, um, and I really like his work. I really, I think Big Train, his sketch show is one of the best sketch shows I've ever made. So anyway, he did the interview and he said at the end, um, I really enjoyed that. I said, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan and I'm really glad that you spoke to me. And he said, are you Synthesizer Patel? And I said, yes. And he said, I, I knew halfway through, but obviously I couldn't break your character like, in the middle of the interview. I said, yeah, yeah, that's me, that's me. And he said, um, it's just that I'm, I'm, I'm writing the next series of the IT crowd and I'm thinking of maybe uh, if Moss has an uber nemesis is even more nerdy than he is and Synthesizer Patel would be a great... A great um, um, sort of character to use. I mean, would you do you fancy it? And I'm thinking. So let me think. The writer and creator and director of the IT crowd is asking me to play a character I've already done. I think that's a yes. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, right. Um, well, listen. Um, are you on Twitter? I said, no. He said, well, get on Twitter and I know to find you. I said, fine. That's why I got on Twitter. Mm. So you got him to blame for that. And then Twitter silence. I get nothing from him. And then I found out later that um, they couldn't do another series of the IT crowd because they, they couldn't get Richard Iwadi and Chris O'Dowd and Catherine Parkinson in the same room because they were all so busy doing other stuff. So I thought, when's that ever going to happen again? So that that just evaporated. But then he did cast me in the very last IT crowd, the, the finale. Mm. I had a wee part in that, so that was nice. But it had been so lovely to have played Moss's nemesis and opposite <laughs> Richard Iwadi and out-nerding him. It would have been amazing, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'll, I'll shorten that a little bit for the page. Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Favourite food? My mum's lamb curry. The best country you've visited? Oh, best country. Um, I love Italy. Good show, that's yeah. one of mine. Miscellaneous likes. We'll just give me a couple of things that, that you I like. like to do. The work of Chris Morris, the work of Andy Nucci, uh, the, the clothes of Richard I. What do you think is a very stylish man? Paul Weller's very stylish too. The music of Public Enemy, Deep Purple, Beastie Boys. 
uh, Beck, um, early Bollywood. A few okay. things there. Um, on the other foot, miscellaneous dislikes? Dislikes. Um, Drive you mad. Apart from the obvious uh, racism and that. Um, um, oh, I, do you know what? I'm, my wife will tell you this. I'm the most even-handed man in the world. I'll, always, I'll look for the good in everything. So Hitler, apparently a really, <laughs> apparently a really good mimic. Um, uh, I'm very, very punctual. So I, 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 I try not to criticise. I mean, I, I stupidly had a go at Paddy McGuinness once on Twitter and then he showed up with Peter Kate at the Still Game Live show. And I, <laughs> I couldn't look him in the eye because I didn't know if it had got back to him. I think I'd said... I think Paddy McGuinness is extraordinary, as in really, really, really ordinary. <laughs> and I've I've I've, I've learned the lesson. I'm not going to have a go yeah. unless it's Piers Morgan or Katie Hopkins yeah, yeah. or, you know, uh, any Tory. I'm, I'm not going to have a go at anyone on Twitter. And, and so I I try to keep my. And I, I, generally speaking, I don't I don't like disliking things. I like. Do, to do you not have any? Because an example of something that drives me mad is just people who don't know how to walk in public. Yeah, you know they walk at the wrong. Yeah, but you don't. Day. You don't know what kind of day they had. You don't know their backstory. They can be different. It's every single day. It's the same person. Oh, that's different then. So, yeah, but maybe you're walking too quickly. <laughs> you thought about that. Look, look to the motor nine oh nine. I just want to get from A to B. Yeah. Okay. Maybe maybe D and S more interesting. Maybe if you looked at F, you'd have more interesting life and outlook. More broad outlook. It's a good point. It's a very good point. It's a good point. It's well made as well. Favorite TV show? Oh, that's too difficult. Um, oh, I mean, the one that sort of changed my life in a way was the young ones, and I'll always go back to it. But oh, okay, all right, well, the, my two favorite shows a lot of 2019 were Chernobyl and um, Succession. And Succession for me was the best of US talent and the best of UK talent because there's loads, like, um, loads of brilliant, um, in fact, almost the entire production team were from the UK. Mm. So it was the guys that were involved in Veep and the thick of it. Yeah, Simon Blackwell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who I worked with years ago. Um, that's the thing. I, I worked on a show um, on BBC Three, as it was then, uh, and it was like, remember That's Life? It, yeah. it was like, That's Life but Current Affairs. So Dermot Murnahan was the the, the um, presenter, and the three kind of side presenters were me, Sharon Horgan, and Chris Addison. Mm. And Sharon Horgan is doing it, it, mega-talented work, working on everything. Chris Addison has been directing Veep and mm. been in the thick of it. And one of the writers was Simon Blackwell, who writes Veep and writes Succession and all kinds of things. And um, uh, yeah, Succession, I think, is was perfection. So that's more recently. Okay. Uh, favorite, you've touched on a few of them, but favorite singers? Favorite singers, uh, Ian Gillen. Um, um, oh, I really like, I, I really like um, um, Jack White from The White Stripes. Um, oh, there's so many and I can't even think of them. I'll, let's go with Ian Gillen. Okay. Favourite actors? That could include female actresses as Fem well. Yeah. Um, oh, that's, that's that thing that changes every day, doesn't it? At the moment, I'm really digging... Um, um, <laughs> I've forgotten his name, so that's the impact he made. But I, <laughs> have you all seen Jojo Rabbit yet? Yeah, I have. It's absolutely brilliant. And... Um, um, Sam Rockwell I, th I don't think he ever puts a foot wrong having said that Gene Hackman's never made a bad movie Gene Hackman is brilliant Sam Rockwell I don't think has ever uttered a breath or made a noise that, that didn't you know wasn't believable and Olivia Coleman is yeah. wonderful but then you know I love uh, Fleabag anyone that's in Fleabag gets it right and that's another brilliant brilliant television show mm -hmm. to answer previous question okay who's your best friend who's my best friend 
Probably Nigel Farage. <laughs> That's the plan anyway. I plan to mm. conquer him with love. Okay. Yeah. Well, I can't see my best pal is. Well, you just have. Yeah, but obviously isn't. <laughs> yeah. oh, right, my best, okay. number, genuinely, my best friend is my wife Fiona, right. and uh, yeah, she still makes me laugh after it's her twentieth wedding anniversary this year. Congratulations! What I'm hoping is is that after the twenty years are up, she doesn't suddenly stop being funny like that day <laughs> or at midnight suddenly. I don't get you anymore. That mm. might happen, but I'm hoping it doesn't. For twenty years, she, she's made me laugh. Very often, people will, you know, obviously because I work in the world of comedy, and people say. You, you know your wife's the funny one, and I sort of have to agree with them, because <laughs> she is. Fair enough, yeah. Who's been your biggest influence in your life? Um, on my professional life, um, I've subconsci subconsciously nicked from a lot of people, and those people would be Victoria Wood, Eric Morecambe, Chris Morris, Amanda Nucci, Stephen Fry, Hugh Laurie, Rick Mail. Um, when you are a comedy writer, you sort of write out your influences the like, mm. first couple of years. And I, I genuinely, and Eddie Izzard as well, I genuinely nick stuff from them without even knowing it. Yeah. And then what happens, I think, is if you listen to something like Vags, Magnum, Bags, you say, oh, oh, I can recognise that as Victoria Wood. That's quite Fry and Laurie. That's quite yeah. Inucci. They're still there, but you sort of taken that ball and run with it. And then you become, oh, it's going to be really pretentious, you become the prism through which the light is refracted. <laughs> but uh, it's true, though, all those people have really uh, influenced um, the way I think comedically, um, and I, as I aspire to be like any of them. Okay. So last question, Who, which person in the world would you most like to meet? I would have loved to have met Prince, and I nearly did. I stalked him okay. in Minneapolis. I did. Uh, me and my mate got a hire car, and we just drove this throbbing red hire car. Were you, were you in the country at the time? Was that yeah. the reason you went there? No, what, what we did was me and my mate Arif, this is going back... All right, uh, do you want the full story that you can... Okay, right, okay, this, 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 again, take some time. Because he is the only guy that I've ever stalked as Prince, right? Okay. So the best gig I ever went to in my life was Prince at Parkhead in 92. And um, the way it panned out was my mate Shabina is the biggest Prince fan in the world, to the extent that she used to write in purple. She had purple pens that she had on her person. <laughs> and she used to say, the reason I don't go out with guys, right, is I'm saving myself for Prince. She generally said that once. Um, and so she queued from about six in the morning for the gig, which meant that we all got really close to the front. So we were right at the chicken wire yeah. at the Parkhead. And it was the, the sexy MF tour, 92. It was absolutely brilliant. And we're right there. And Shabina had brought a purple tulip with her. And she was wanting to throw it on stage, but she didn't have a very good throwing arm. So I, I, I neither, neither do I, but it was better than her. So I, I managed to get on stage and Prince, Prince picked it up and sang Nothing Compares to You holding Shabina's Tulip. Not a euphemism. And um, uh, so it was a, a bit like a religious experience. And the gig finished and we're like, all a bit spent, thinking, what now? What, you know, what, where else to go with our life? And then the tour manager came to the chicken wire and he said to one of the attractive females in our entourage, the band will be at the Marriott. So not knowing that this female came with 20 other Asian guys. So we, so we all rock up at the Marriott. And uh, by this time, Prince was away, but I did get a wee peck on the cheek from either Diamond or Pearl. Remember the Diamonds and Diamond and Pearl? No, see, I'm a bit of a Prince of Possessor, but they were the two kind of dancers that he um, had at that time. Because remember, he used to change his personnel all the time, so it'd be the New Power Generation or the Revolution. I still think New Power Generation sounds like Eon, but anyway. Um, so um, anyway, Prince was away by this point. But um, do you remember the Volcano Nightclub? Were you, were yeah, you around yeah. during its tenure? Yeah, yeah. So Partick Cross, mid-early 90s. They were having a Prince night. It was a Sunday night, and Bobby Bluebell was having a Prince night there. And 
Shabina told the band, so they ended up going to the volcano for this Prince night. And I went as well. And uh, Shabina got a pally with uh, the keyboard player, a guy called Tommy Barbarella, who was quite hippie-ish. He wore lots of lace, had long hair and lots of beads and stuff. He's quite, you know, like this. Nice guy, though, you know. I like Glasgow. I like the vibe here. And Shabina's chatting away to him. And uh, the, the guitar guitars from the band, a guy called Levi C. He's a cool guy. He, he wore his hat at an angle. I'm pretty sure he had a playing card in the band. <laughs> and uh, he was he was getting kind of, he, he was down, he was, he was kind of stomping about, getting quite irate. And so Tommy says, well, like Levi's totally freaking out. I better check out what's happening with Levi. So he goes away and he comes back and he says, so I think Levi took a liking to one of your friends and she's like 16 years old. And and so he, Levi, she's 16 years old, Jelby, Jelby. <laughs> so <laughs> thankfully he saw, you know, he... Maybe he had form, I don't know, but he was really angry that he nearly kind of, do you know what I mean? So anyway, fine. So a year later, right, me and my mate Arif are touring around the States and there's two things I want to do. One is I want to see Al Green preaching in Memphis, mm -hmm. which I did. That's another very long story right. for another podcast probably. And I wanted to go to Paisley Park. So staying with family friends in Minneapolis, we just hired a car and thought, right, let's just let's just go to Paisley Park. I mean, you know, they throw us out, they throw us out. You know, what's, what's the big deal? The weird thing about Paisley Park is it's a bit like coming to here. It's an industrial estate almost, and there's no security. So we just drove in and sort of parked. And there was like a mustard yellow kind of weird Corvette kind of car. I thought, well, that's got to be Prince's car. Who else would drive that? So we kind of figured that Prince was in the building, but we weren't going to try and get in the building. We just sort of lurked in the car park. And like I say, this throbbing red tire car. and just waited until we got yeah. chucked out. And then about an hour later, a 4 by 4 comes in with Tommy Barbarella, Levi Caesar, and a couple of other guys from the New Power Generation. So they, they're jumping out and they're going towards the building and I don't quite know what to do. So I jump out of the car and I went, Tommy! So Tommy Bar Barbarella turns out and went, Glasgow? <laughs> I said, yeah. So he comes over and says, like, what are you guys doing here? I said, well, you know, we're Prince fans and I've always wanted to come and make a pilgrimage. So, you know, I just thought I'd check it out. I said, wow, that's so cool. And he shouted out after Levi, Levi, Glasgow. And I swear to God, right, this isn't even exaggerated or comedy effect. He didn't even break stride or turn around. He just went, she was 16 years old and, <laughs> and walked straight into the building. <laughs> the electric doors opened and he was away. And then and then we got huckled out by a security guard. So um, that was funny. So, um, yeah, Prince. I never got to meet him, but I think I saw his car is the short answer to that. Okay, that's a brilliant story. Thank you for that. And just, just you mentioned Al Green. Someone was talking on Twitter. The other day about how Al Green sings at his yes, church. Yes, the Hale Methodist Church in Memphis, and we got to see it. Mm. And uh, the, the, I'll tell you the, I won't tell you the full story, but I refused a lift home from him. We were supposed to fly from, we were going straight from the church to the airport, and we were in the empty car park at the church, and thinking, oh, it was really lovely seeing him preach, but we never met him. It's a shame, isn't it? And then this Rolls Royce silver shadow comes around the corner and the window goes down. It's the Reverend. Hey, guys, what are you up to? Do you want to lift? And I said, you're all right, Rev. There's a, ta <laughs> there's a taxi coming. Oh, it's a real shame that the taxi came and we weren't here. <laughs> That's a true story. <laughs> okay, so we're going to take a look at the Celtic Match Day website again, um, have a wee delve in and have a look at a programme or two. Have you anything you want to pick out, Tom? Uh, well, the one I plucked out was Celtic against Rangers, New Year's Day, 1992. 1992, right? Okay, so this is CelticMatchDay.com. And if you just go to Archive, drop down list of the years, 
and pick 1992. And from that, it will show you all the programs that are in 1992, and there's a big list of them there. So we're going to look at the 1st of January, 1992, uh, yep. Yep, Celtic v Rangers. Okay, so if we open that up, opens up as a PDF format, and here we go, front page is... Um, a drawing of Andy Payton? Andy Payton, yeah, it's, it could be a bad drawing of Charlie Nicholas, but I think it's um, Andy Pay- a good drawing of Andy Payton. Mick Galloway in the background, maybe? Or Derek White, number three? Yeah, aye. Derek White, maybe. Mick Galloway, aye. Yeah. Who's, the goal- who's the goalkeeper? Uh, probably Paddy Bonner still would it have been. Mm-hmm. Or Alan, Alan McKnight? Mm-hmm. Oh, Gordon I'm sure Marshall? I'm sure it would tell us inside. Um, if yeah. we, if we, if we so this is from the, the People's Sponsorship Gordon. era. Yeah, Gordon Marshall, you were right. Yeah, people's the with the red and blue on the on the strip, which didn't which didn't um, please too well, many people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so if just want to pick a few things out of that. Well, scrolling down, first couple of things it come to me is the adverts. Mm-hmm. So there's a full page advert for Kensington's Club Fags. Right. Yeah. And uh, you see, it's a four three bridge. Yep. They join them. They join them for for three. And then, after fags, you've got a full page advert for El Dorado, <laughs> rich Aye. white, full strength wine. There was no stopping old Tam when he ran out of El, Del- El Dorado. Is that is that ringing yeah. a bell, Tom? Yeah. So, page <laughs> advert for fags, page advert for wine. Seventeen and a half percent LD, brilliant. And then the next thing that's interesting. Is there's an advert for a quarterly video? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you remember. These were kind of commonplace. Right. Run about, run about them as a as a VHS era mm-hmm. kicked in. So this was a sort of quarterly video mag magazine. So is that so a, was it a, highlights? Was it a single mag, a single video, or would there have been multiple ones in it? Was well, it, I think. It, that picture there makes it look like there's at least two videotapes in it, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. Because it's quite a chunky picture. Yeah. Uh, it contains highlights from all the Irish matches, mm-hmm. Arsenal Spurs. So it's obviously the pre-season friendlies in the first few games. Yeah. And then there's interviews with Liam Brady, Terry Cassidy, Sean Connery. Sean Connery. You wouldn't be Training too happy with that. That would have been when Sean was a Celtic supporter. Was it? Yes, before uh, <laughs> David Murray snapped him up for yeah, the Rangers yeah. Champions League era. Excellent. Uh, so I thought that was thought that was in- interesting. Mm-hmm. Sort of like a magazine, video magazine. Yeah. Also, again, lots of colour photographs in it. Um, Brian, Brian O'Neill, Mark McNally, two of the Celtic's young guns, um, as they were back then. Um, all your usual stuff you'd expect to find in it. Some, um, as a David W. Potter records the achievements of Joe McBride with a tinge of inevitable sadness. And there's a wee story then there. I was a cracking photo of you, uh, Joe McBride there. Yeah. He, he looks as in a bit of pain stretching for a ball. Um, but yeah. So, uh, is there anything else? Because I, I had a look at um, one from 1972. I just thought I'd pick out something from my year of birth. April the 1st, 1972. Oh, yes. um, and it was against Partick Thistle. And the front page is, it's not any action. It's a it's a Celtic badge. It's on the front Um and again, going into it, we've got um, off sales, um, a bit of tailoring as well. Um, do you find that one? 
Yes, I am on that one now. Yeah, so, you know, straight away we're into Haddo's wine merchants um, saying, we cater for weddings and any social function. Our vans deliver to all dr- districts. Um, most of this is actually, it's, it's there, isn't, there isn't too much about the football in this. Um, there's a, an art, you know, article from Jockstein and a lot of it's, um, a lot of it's uh, adverts in this. Um, yeah. There's a little bit of half-time scoreboard. Um Wee piece on Scandinavian goalkeepers. Yep. Who was the first Scandinavian goalkeeper at Celtic Park? He was a Swede. Julian, you pronounce the surname? Which, which part are we looking at? All oh, right, um, Giuliani. Julian. Giuliani, maybe. Julian Pol- Giuliani. Is that his Polarisi. Polarisi. Who was a signed Celtic player in the middle 1920s but did not win a place in the first team. I think that says Giuliani. I think the H is probably H G U L I N I A N A. I mean, I don't think that's a Z. I think that's yeah. just an A that's got a bit of a. But, um, yeah, so there's the team lineups, um, there's the, the league table, and there's a quiz on Partick Thistle. And the season so far with Celtic, there is one photograph, one action photograph, as um, it looks like from is that, uh, John Hansen standing on the line. Um, Alan Ruff there as well as, uh, as the ball goes into the net. Um, Alec Ray in the background as well. Um, they're looking a bit dejected. And mm-hmm. if you look um, page down, there's um, one of Japan's most beautiful exports, and it's a new Datsun range <laughs> uh, cars as well. Next to the Geisha girls, of course. <laughs> of course, yeah. Um, Air Charter Experts, Holiday Enterprises. So, again, loads and loads of um, adverts in here. But again, you know, Celtic Match Day, it's, it's you know, you really could spend quite a, a lot of time just um, browsing through here and just, you know, reminiscing about the football, reminiscing about the adverts and life in general. So, um, CelticMatchDay.com and it's at Celtic Match Day on Twitter as well. So, please go along, follow, um, follow them on Twitter, check out the website. We'll jump back into the magazine here. We're on page 13. And this is Family First. It's Peter joins Chelsea for his son's sake. So this is about Peter Nicholas, who's joined Chelsea from Aberdeen. So he arrived at Chelsea in a £350,000 deal that ended in weeks of agony for the Welsh international. A surprise move to the second division, Chelsea, with a number of first division clubs interested in them. The move to Chelsea had more to do with family matters than football. So Peter says... The only reason I wanted to leave Aberdeen was that my youngest son, Michael, requires regular treatment at a London hospital specialising in stomach diseases. He's undergone one operation already and will need another one in three months' time. He'll be ill for at least another year, so that's why it's vitally important to be in the capital. He also says the decision to leave Scotland was a big wrench. He said that the people of Aberdeen were brilliant and the club were always fantastic to me. I found Aberdeen a great place to live. I had a hundred letters from people wishing me well. So when you get that sort of response, it's always difficult to leave it all behind. And the photograph there shows him at Aberdeen. I mean, hopefully his son son has um, got better from that. So just on Peter Nicholas, he was born in Newport, Wales in 1959. And he was a defensive midfielder. Started at Crystal Palace, where he played 127 games, 1976 through 81. 
Then he made 60 appearances for Arsenal between 81 and 83. Uh, back to Crystal Palace between 83 and 85. And then on to Luton Town, where he made 102 appearances before moving to Aberdeen. At Aberdeen, he made 39 league appearances in total. Um, he made 73 appearances for Wales between 79 and 92. That's quite a, a period of um, international career there, scoring two goals. Um couple of management uh, spells, Barrytown, Newport County, Clannethley. I always hate saying that one because I'm never <laughs> Clannethley. He's known as a tough tackling and uncompromising defensive midfielder, so as soon as we hear that, we know that there's a bit of dig in there. Um, he went in goals for the injured Pat Jennings oh. in an FA Cup tie oh. against Spurs in January 1982. Um, he signed for Aberdeen from Luton, as we say, for 350000 so the same price that Chelsea got him for. But he missed a penalty in the shootout of the 1987-88 Scottish League Cup final against Rangers, in which they lost. So I'm hoping that Aberdeen fans don't hold that against them. Well, they've got 100 letters. Yeah, I think he was well liked. Yeah, I yeah, I think so. I think so. So would he have played the same midfield as Jim Bet, or maybe even would be before Ian Jess, wouldn't it? And Stephen Glass. Yeah, and I think so. Yeah, be, or just run about the yeah. the time is. But yeah, Jim Bet would have been would have been uh, there. Yeah, yeah. That Jim Bet was a class player, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. probably one of these ones that has probably been underrated. I think the, so through the years. Yeah. Um, so it, when he was with Chelsea, they won the second division when he was with them there as well. I remember uh, Sunis putting a rough tackle in him in Scotland Wales game. Yeah, one of was that the, the game that Vinnie Jones scored in? Soon as putting one of his sort of famous thigh yeah. high challenges. Yes, yeah. Yeah. It's good that I can laugh with you about it. Yeah, well. no, that's the main thing. Okay, moving on. Page fifteen. Who's going up in Scotland? So match takes a look at the Scottish first and second divisions in the coming season. They speak to Jamie Fairley of Hamilton and John Sludden of Air United. So first start off, we're looking at the first division and it's Jamie Fairley of Hamilton Ackies and he says, par's on course. course. So he tips Dunfermline to to win the first division. So I'll just go through Jamie Fairley's bio here. So he was born in Bailiston in 57. Uh, started with Hamilton Ackies between 74 and 83, 291 league appearances, 74 goals. He went to Air United, 105 appearances. He had a spell at Clyde Bank between 86 and 87, 27 league appearances and one goal. Um, Motherwell, Hamilton Ackies and Clyde for that as well. So he's made quite a few appearances over the years. Um, and so by the sounds of it, didn't move his house because they, yeah, they were yeah. not quite reachable, all those clubs from yeah. the one location. Uh, yeah, his brother Brian played with Albion Rovers as well. Um, so I think the less successful of the Fairleys. Um, his daughter Susan played for Hampton Aki's women's team and was named the SWFA Player of the Year recently in 2016. Um, Aberdeen and Celtic were involved in a fight for his signature while at Hamilton, and he was all set to join Aberdeen when he suffered a shattering leg break in what turned out to be his final game for oh. the Aki's. Just as the big guys are about to oh, get man. in. Motherwell also wanted him while he was at Airdrie, but boss Alan McLeod saw him as integral to their plans. Um, now, Jamie selects Dunfermline as a team to top the league. He sees them as still being a Premier Division side. Despite relegation, the East End Park directors have given manager Jim Leishman their full backing, resisting the temptation to impose cutbacks due to the drop in the leagues. 
and they're also still full-time as well. So they've just come down from the Premier. There's not been any cutbacks. They're still full-time. So based on that, that's who Jamie thinks is um, going to be the, the tip. Jamie's currently at Premier Club Hamilton, and he says, with only one club going up, it's tremendously competitive, and there are many clubs who can seriously challenge for top spot. And he says, Dunfermline, Falkirk and Morton will all be better sides for their experience playing in the Premier League last season. Now, the fact that he mentions three teams here, 1987-88 saw the Scottish Premier Division change from 12 clubs to 10 clubs. Uh. So there were three teams relegated and only one Hamilton promoted. Um, it, so he also goes on about the other teams in the division. Airdrie, Clybank and Wraith Rovers will be there or thereabouts. Um, that's your... your, your Standard response yes. for these sort of things, isn't it? Air United, newly promoted, will be in the hunt. And with Kilmarnock, St Johnson and Partick Thistle keen to win back their former status, they'll be worth watching. Dunfermline's full-time setup can give them the edge. So, I mean, looking at the names, that are the teams that are in there, Kilmarnock, St Johnson, Partick Thistle, Dunfermline, you know, there's... there's Competitive some, league, yeah, eh? it's, yeah. It certainly is. Now, a spoiler... Dunfermline did finish in top spot with 54 points, with Falkirk two off and Clybank in third position on 48. Now, ironically for for um, Jamie's case, Hamilton were relegated, so they came straight back down. Kilmarnock finished second bottom of the first division, were relegated to the second division with Queen of the South as well. So Kilmarnock, a bit of a fall from grace there. So we take a look then at the second division, and this is John Sludden of Air United, and he backs Bertie's boys. They, they like an alliteration in these things. So this is about Bertie Auld, who was a manager of Dumbarton. Um, but we'll take a look at John first. So he, he was born in Falkirk, 1964, he was a striker. He actually started at Celtic. He was at Celtic for three seasons, but I think he probably just played for the reserves. Um, there is actually a game which I'll get on to, which he did play and had a part in. Um, he played for St Johnston, Airdrie, Air United, Marnock, East Fife. He played one league game for Clydebank in 1993. Then on to Clyde, Muir, and Bowness, where he, I think he was player manager at that time as well, and then managed at Camelon Juniors and East Stirlingshire. Now, he actually played in the 1980 Scotland versus England schoolboys. Schoolboys. Oh, that final, the Saturday it's a, final. Exactly, it's like... How famous is that final? <laughs> to people of our, our, our sort of generation, it's like that was yeah. such a. I mean, we, we probably think of that in the same breath we do any Scotland. Oh, totally, game. totally. And what it, a squad that was, though. Yeah. Well, just looking at this, so it was shown live on TV, and Scotland won 5 4. So Paul McStay scored two, Ali Dick scored one, and Sludden scored the other two. Paul Rideout scored a hat trick for England. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of big names in there. Um, Sludden signed for Celtic the same day as Paul McStay, but he only played once for the first team in a Glasgow Cup final versus Rangers in 1982, which they won 2-1. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're going to play one game, yeah. that's that's a pretty that's good game. Yeah. Yeah. A cup final against Rangers and you win. Um, now, the, own, the, the goal f- against uh, Celtic was an own goal by Willie Garner. Sorry, Willie. <laughs> um, that gave Rangers their goal. So yeah, Willie Willie gets still gets a, a bit of stick that he scored a few own goals for Celtic. Yeah, so. It was the first Celtic game I ever went to. It was, oh, wow. it was Willie Garner's debut uh, against St Mirren. That's why I'm not a Celtic fan. Because my dad was a Celtic fan. Mm-hmm. They took me to Claybank because it was because it was local. But then a few months later they took me to Celtic, and it was when the League Cup was still in sections. 
and it was uh, St Mirren and Willie Garner's debut the new Billy McNeil he was mm. touted mm. scored two on goals St Mirren won 3-1 oh, right. and that, that's what you get this mem- oh. remember for but I mean Willie, Willie always just comes to pass and listen I, I play for Celtic I play for Aberdeen and stuff like yeah. that it's like what, what have you done exactly so yeah. I'm a big fan of Willie yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. He's done a Schofield. He's done a Schofield. <laughs> oh, dearie me. Okay, no, well, you know, no recovery from that. wait till you're 57. You know, you've still got plenty of years to chase the cock. I've, yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's quite a few weeks before this podcast comes out. A bit like myself. Um, all right, okay, moving on. So, in the, in the article, John, John says that the more and more clubs are giving youth its fling. Referring to recent years with the arrival of players such as Pat Nevin, Gordon Jury, and Darren Jackson, wow. all of who started in the lower rungs of Scottish football. And he says second division sides are made up largely of ambitious young players keen to make their mark in the game and one or two more experienced men on hand to look after them. In recent years, Stilling Albion have put together a, a clever young side in Queen's Park have always had a reputation for setting many lads on the road to the top. East Fife finished last season with a good run. He says, my tips for promotion are Bertie Olds, Dumbarton though. Now, East Fife and Dumbarton were both relegated from the first division the previous season. And he says, Dumbarton fought hard to avoid relegation. Brecon City have assembled a good side in the last year, but my main forecast, however, is that Air United will show that clubs can come straight out of Division 2 and press for a place in the Premier. Now, the spoiler is here that Air United finished 11th out of 14th, although only three points separated 8th to 13th spot. Uh, Dumbarton finished 12th out of 14, so they, they, they didn't get promoted. Albion Rovers were the champions, and Aloe Athletic were promoted with them in second spot. Berwick Rangers and Stenhouse Muir propped up the foot of the league, so this was before any sort of relegation from the bottom. So Albion Rovers got promoted to the first division. I think that's as, that's as high as they got, wasn't it? Yeah, no, I don't do think they've ever been in no, the, the yeah. Premier League. Been the Premier, no. yeah. Yeah. So. so, Sanjeev, had you been a professional football player, mm-hmm. what would your ideal career have been? Well, ideal, well obviously, ideal career would be um, to have been part of the 67 European Cup winning squad when I was nine minus three <laughs> years old. Um, oh, that's... You mean a ball boy, uh, like a mascot then? Aye, a mascot. Yeah. No, I'd... Um, obviously, it would have been nice to have stayed in Scotland and see the thing is I'm old enough to remember when Scottish players were globally known you know yeah. when we had Scottish players at the top of the English first division as it was then you know you had yeah. Doug Leash, McQueen, Jordan, Bremner all these guys uh, and I guess it would have been and, and also when you think of Scottish players that made it in Europe you know as long for a t- how many near misses have we had now who's the boy who's the boys at gold from yeah. Dundee United, yeah, yeah, yeah. is he getting a game at Lisbon or is he? Has he come back now? Maybe someone was it loan at, loan at Hibs? Yeah. Recently. Yeah. Then Gary O'Connor, he made North yeah, in Russia, and um, I mean, who, who, I suppose Lambert is he the last Scottish player? I mean, oh, Ewan Henderson, isn't there? He's out in yeah, Italy. Yeah, he's doing all right in Italy. Um, think, Liam think, or Ewan Henderson? Liam Henderson. Liam Henderson I th- yeah. I think there's talk about him coming back as well. Yeah. So I would, you know, we're talking about... But the, but the fact is, the fact that they've, they've went away and took a chance... That, oh, no, no. It seems to be a period Oh, it'd be great. Happen. It'd be great if they took the chance and learned some good habits as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I suppose if you're talking about an ideal career, I'd have loved to have done good stuff in Scotland and maybe had a go in Europe, you know? Yeah. If you talk about ideal careers, you know? Yeah. You look at what Gareth Bale did at Real Madrid. Why yeah. can't that? Why can't we have a Scott doing that? That could have been me! <laughs> um, but that would have been nice. So you put Celtic and then a big... 
team in Spain, and, and then and then back to finish at Celtic. Yeah. yeah, I think I think maybe just two years in um, Spain, and maybe do a wee cheeky year in Italy, and then uh, maybe the the MLS, and then back to Celtic. Aye. Um, all, you can, need, all you need is France, and then you could do a more. That's true. That's true. Actually, I could do do a, a Seedorf and win the Champions League with three different teams. Aye. That'd be nice. Well, it's, it? it's, it's your career. You that's can my, yeah, really right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Th- th- then Seedorf's career it is then. Um, Are you going to take Scotland to World Cup finals? Of course. Right. Oh no, absolutely. No, I would absolutely. Um, oh, because even then I was four years old in '74 mm. when we had that brilliant team that didn't lose a game and yeah. still fucking came home. Um, it would be just amazing to for it. And I, I can't see where it's going to come from, even yeah. to make it to a major championship. I mean, I think Steve Clark's our best bet, and the last two games have definitely shown an upturn. And we've also got this wee chance with Israel, and yeah. is it Norway we'd get mm-hmm. if we take Israel? I think we can take Israel. Yeah. I think Israel are on a level with us, and we can't. This is the thing we can't say we're any better than teams like Israel. That's where we are yeah. in the world rankings just now. Um, and again, we could take a team like Norway on our day. But it's not like the old days where we could have taken a Portugal or taken an Italy. It's just Maybe. just not the way it is anymore. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, st- I still... You know, you have those kind of dreams where you're watching a game and then they run out of players and, like, we're going to have to call someone from the crowd. Who's registered? I'm registered. <laughs> I'm registered. I did it online, right? You, you brought your boots. Aye, they're in my Aldi bag, right? And on you come. And then you, you, you drove past 10 players, do a gamble and score the winner. You still, at the age of 49, have those dreams. The problem um, with that is you, you're not allowed any bags into the game these days. So, <sighs> sorry, you bust your bubble big, there. Big pockets, big <laughs> pockets. Um, but, you know, I, I, I suppose technically I could qualify to play for Scotland, but I was born in England, yeah. and my mum was born in Kenya, and my dad was born in India. So mm. I, technically I could play for any of those teams. Never think when you were younger, it's maybe an e- easier cap for Ken, the Kenyan national <laughs> team. Yeah, the Kenyan national team, I think I could yeah. be the captain. But it's it funny, my, my brother made a documentary years ago um, called In Search of the Tartan Turban, and it was just really about identity issues for yeah. Asians growing up in, in Scotland. And uh, uh, part of the thing was that we all went for a meal with the cousins and that. And my, and my cousin's son, Kieran, was there, and um, he played a bit of football. And my brother said to him, so, Kieran, um, you were born in Scotland. Um, your dad was born in London. Your mum was born in Scotland, but your mum's parents are from Ireland and your dad's parents are from Kenya and India. So you've got a choice to play for Scotland, England, Ireland, Kenya or India. So who would you want to play for? And he thought about it and he said, Argentina. (laughs) 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 But I would definitely be Scotland for me. Absolutely, 100% be Scotland for me. Um, And... there's still a pride there, you know. I mean, I, I, I've been to a couple of Scotland games, and it's just not the way it used to be. It just isn't. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a shame. I mean, I still have that pride, uh, and you know, I still want them to do well. But there just there seems to be a collective punch in the guts where people just aren't interested anymore. Mm-hmm. It's a real shame. I think it's it's one of these things that it needs a little bit of success mm-hmm. to to get everybody involved, and then I think it would, it would be like a snowball effect from yeah. that without any sort of. Success or hope of yeah. its success. I mean, look, when, when I actually didn't get to watch the game because I was at a wedding, but when Lee Griffith, Griffiths put in those two goals against yeah. England, you could feel it a wee bit again. Yeah. You know, that genuine excitement and that genuine... I mean, I'm, I'm not a big fan of of jingoism, but I think it's still okay to support your national team and yeah. have, have some pride in it. And um, I still think if, you know, 
Armstrong was still one of my favourite players, and I really, <laughs> I really wish Celtic had held on to him. But that one pass, I know. that one pass, it's splutered it. It's again, it's this sliding door moment. Yeah, isn't it's it? totally, if you totally. Just get ready. And you know, fart. and you talk about a player who is one of the most efficient players with the ball, never wastes it. Yeah. The one ball, the one ball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But thankfully, no one's talking about it three years later on a podcast, so you can live it down. <laughs> See, the, the, the thing I, I can't, I can't really look at. It's, it's brilliant as those goals were, and I, I was in my my living room, jumped about like a madman, and my friend was like, "Oh, what's going on here?" But I can't look at that game now as anything other than just a major disappointment. Mm-hmm. Even though when I watch it again, I still get, mm-hmm. I still get the pin, I still get the the shivers watching mm-hmm. it. But it's like. Oh, we threw it away. Yeah. It's like fashion. when you watch Gary McCaster take that penalty, you still think he's going to score it. That bloody yeah. Yuri Geller. Yeah, Yuri Geller. <laughs> Spoon bending freak. <laughs> <laughs> right, back to pages 16 and 17. So, the world of soccer compiled by Paul Stratton. So, I'm going to pick out one here. So, it's Darius Jakanowski, which is a name you recognise. To Anderlecht. So Belgium, Belgian champions Anderlecht are hoping to sign Polish international Darius Jakanowski from Legia Warsaw, well, Warsaw, 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 where he was the leading goal scorer in the country. But they may face competition from Pescara. Now, as we know, he ended up moving to Celtic in July of 1989. So the next, the next, the summer um, of the next year, where he would play 49 league games over three seasons, scoring 10 goals. Now. I, I, that doesn't sound a lot of goals mm. for that, and I don't know. Maybe my my memories, um, you know, just a wee bit clouded here. But I always thought he scored that he was a bit more yeah. of a goal scorer. He did score four goals. Yeah, well, that's the game and, uh, he's really known yeah, for. Yeah. Yeah. European Cup Winners Cup tie against Partizan Belgrade, where Celtic won five four, but they they went out in the way goals because they lost two one in Belgrade in the first leg. So. Darius Jakanowski, um, Jackie Jakanowski was, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. So he, was, he was nicknamed. Um, but yeah, 49 league games, um, 10 goals. It's not what you want in return from a striker. Um, pages 18 and 19, so we're in the, the centre spread here. And oh, yeah, this is, look at this. So this is a, a colour team photo, Dundee United. And it, you know, it's a gloriously colourful team photo. It's, it's tangerine, it's white. So they've got the, the front row and the back row are tangerine, home kit, and the middle row, the second row, um, is the white away kit as well, which is a Bellhaven sponsor. They're lovely looking kits. I think pretty much through the years, Dungeon United yeah. have excelled in kits. And maybe it's a lot to do with the colour, it's bright colours, but they've, they've managed to pretty much in the main get it spot on. Well, it's them. a reason I've always had a soft spot for Dundee United. I, I, I don't know where it came from, in, in our house in Bishop Briggs, there was a Dundee United top <laughs> and genuinely don't know where it came from. And then this was before the amazing European runs. And, you know, obviously, you know, Dundee United, Nottingham Forest, back in the days when if you had a strong manager, you, you could take a so-called provincial team all the way. And you, you kind of think now is that, you know, Leicester, I suppose, was the, was the closest we've got now. But the mm. idea that you could take a provincial team nearly all the way in Europe is such a beautiful romantic concept yeah. and Jim McLean for all his faults I mean my god I the mean, force of personality to exactly. and knowledge to, to take a group of players to do that is amazing mm-hmm. and I love this squad I'm, although I'm not seeing Eamon Bannon am I? am I? I don't know was he aff? was he, was he away by that point? Yeah, he's not there okay. yeah. Morris Malpas Hegarty Neri Sturrock Davy Bowman 
they all seem to be here. So mm. is he at Hibs at that time? Mm. See, I would have thought uh, John Clark, David Bowman at the back, McAnally. Maybe he's taking the photo, I don't know. <laughs> he's take, that's it, he's taking oh. the photo. No one asks who takes the photo, <laughs> do they? Yeah. But just an interesting thing that I noticed. The, the, so there's three goalkeepers there, all with different colour. And at first glance, they look like completely different kits. Yeah. But they're not. They're exactly the same style. If you look a bit closer, uh, the, the wee kind of distress yeah, kind of yeah, pattern it's, on it's, them. Yeah. They've got that, and I think I always find that fascinating. How just having the different colour and the same style makes things look so different. Because there's sometimes where I've seen a kit, and then you know. Maybe a, a year or two later, I've seen a different kit for a different team, and I, and I put them together, and it's like it's the same kit, yeah. but it's never, I've it's never clicked on. And sometimes, you know, an example being, I don't, know, I think Forfar had a, the the same as the the Admiral one, which is the same as Coventry, but I mean that that, that those colours were pretty much the same, but. It's just a wee trick in the eye with that, I think. Um, Eamon, Eamon Bannon had went to Harps in the summer of right. 1988. Right. Okay, so I'm, I'm just going to look at a couple of the... the Do you notice there again with the white strip, there's no crest yes. right, on okay. the charts? I don't know if that's an early an early kit that they hadn't put mm. the kit of the crest on. have not ironed it on yet. Yeah. Aye. Aye. <laughs> so just going to look at some of the, the coaching staff to begin with. So we've got Ian Campbell. Um, he was a coach. While studying PE at Gordon, Jordan Hill College, he earned extra money by dancing on the White Heather Club <laughs> in the 1960s. <laughs> so He joined United as a part-time coach in 1972 and later moved to Forfar where he was coached to Archie Knox. Uh, he sadly died in March 2008, aged 71. Um, Jim, Jim Bone, who yes. we, we know, um, he played as a striker for Partick Thistle, Norwich City, Sheffield United, Celtic, Abroth, Toronto Blizzards, Hearts, and back at Abroth again. But he also managed at Abroth, Airdrie, Power Dynamos, St Mirren, East Fife, Stenhouse Muir, and Asperis Caretaker at Partick Thistle. I had it in my head he played for St Mirren, but he didn't, he only managed them. Um, yeah, and yeah. no, hold on a wee minute, maybe you're right. I can, I can picture him in a St Mirren kit. Yeah. Um, we'll check on great that play. one. Great we'll check play. on that one. Um, the stint of coaching at United came after his player-manager period at Abroth. He moved back to management with Airdrie the following year, so he, he wasn't at Dundee United too long. Mm-hmm. So we've got Gordon Wallace as well, who's a trainer. So he was born in July, June 1943 in Dundee, and he played for both sides of the city. So he played for Dundee between 70 and 76, and for United between 76 and 78. He was a centre-forward and averaged over a goal every two games. You can't tidy, argue with that. Tidy. He went on to manage Wraith Rovers, who he also played for, as well as Dundee and a term in charge of United. Now, this was something I put out on Twitter because I found it fascinating to ask a question in, in the major cities where there's, where there's um, you know, two big teams Aye. or more. How many have played for Aye, both for and both. managed both? And managed both. So he, he's, he's definitely done that. Gordon Wallace has done that. The, the two, two that people have came up with Laszlo Kubala played for both Espanyol and Barcelona and managed both as well yeah um, and then Terry Venables so it's probably team players who have been in the London team because there's so many so of them so many of them yeah. so QPR Keep Crystal Palace and Spurs yeah. so he's done three so it would just be fascinating to know when I put it on Twitter I says you know how many have played for both teams mm. and managed both teams and people coming back Tommy Coyne played for both Said, well, what about the manage? Yeah. So they, they just—I mean, you well, probably get this they, as well. well they, they just don't read things yeah. properly. Well, will there ever be a day when we have someone that managed Celtic and Rangers? Well, maybe. Will that happen? Maybe. Um, oh, 
What's his name? Kenny Miller, maybe. He's yeah, still well, got a chance. I suppose, yeah. Because yeah, I was going to say it would probably have to be someone from outside of Scotland. Mm. You know, because they would just wouldn't have that baggage. They mm. wouldn't have fingers pointing at them. But, you know, because, you know, famously, someone like Jock Brown, they knew he had, he was a Rangers supporter, but yeah. he was the, yeah. now, what was his position at Celtic again? He was uh, um, football director or something yeah, like yeah. that, was he? But that's the closest I, I think I can mm. think of, well, of. I mean, you'd have to get past the first hurdle of playing for both teams. Aye, and there's yeah. been, I mean, there's been Alfie Cohen. There's been, well, but it could be something like Gordon Marshall, uh-huh. you know, because he, he was with Rangers and then he played with Celtic. So, but then... Yeah. You don't see any of them who becoming manager. Who were the brothers that um, to a McAdam and Colin? The McAdam brothers. Mm-hmm. That's right. They, they one played for Celtic, one played for Rangers. Yeah. Um, we're just saying that you know, like you have like guys like Alfie Con that played for both teams, but yeah. I wonder if we'll ever see someone that manages both. Manages both. So even so, even without playing for both, even just manages them yeah. both. Yeah. You know what I mean? I did it in football manager. <laughs> <laughs> How'd that work out for you? It was, it was all right. Actually. Yeah, I, I, I started at Celtic and, and uh, I got fired. So years later when I went to Rangers, I was like, this is a guy who wants to beat Celtic because <laughs> he's got something to prove. I bet you still got people on Twitter and they knew about it and started giving you abuse and uh, trolling you, didn't you? I never put it out. Yeah, no, they, they'll find out. They'll find out. Well, you you. Stephen Presley <laughs> won the Scottish Cup with both Rangers yes. and Celtic. But... Uh, but yeah, I mean, you had that period when McLeish uh, was manager of Rangers and Strachan was manager of Celtic, which was interesting because it was club teammates yeah. who were yeah, managers yeah, yeah. of Celtic and, mm. and Rangers at that time. Yeah. But yeah. What would have been, what would have been, it was a shame that Willie Miller couldn't have got back to management and managed Aberdeen. And you had the, <laughs> the three genius uh, Aberdeen pl- uh, players managing the top teams mm. in Scotland. Yeah, just um, so just going to look at Jim McLean. So Jim's full name, and I hope I pronounce this correctly, is James Yule McLean. And this comes back to our thing again. Um, so his brother Tommy and Willie mm-hmm. were prominent in football and his grandfather on his mother's side, William Yule, played for Rangers before the First World War. So this comes back to a thing, it's been a, a recurring theme on here, that we found out that apparently it's a tradition, or a Scottish tradition, at least on, in the past, whereby your middle name would be your mother's maiden name. Aye. And, and we keep seeing these examples, and this is another example here. And I don't know, because I, I never, I haven't checked like Sir Wally and um, Tommy for it as well. I'd imagine maybe it's the firstborn, because you, you wouldn't imagine they would all was have Jim the, the eldest? same. I, 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 I think, think I thought um, Wally might have been oh, the no, oldest. Oh, no, you're right enough, but, yeah. Um, but there must be some, it can't be everybody, or else the whole family mm-hmm. would have the same middle name. So I, I don't know. It's, it's we'll get to the the, the bottom of it somehow. Anyway, um, Jim was born 1937 in Lark Hall. Um, he started playing with Hamilton Ackies between 56 and 60, um, and he, he was an inside forward. Then he played 129 games in the league there, scoring 57 goals, good return. Played for Clyde between 16 and 65, 102 games, 32 goals in return. He played for Dundee between 65 and 68. Played 90 league games, scoring 28. And he played 56 games between 68 and 70 for Kilmarnock, scoring seven goals. And his career, his managing career at Dundee United between 1971 and 1993 is something else. He was assistant manager to Jock Steen with Scotland for four years, and including that, the 1982 mm-hmm. World Cup. Um, he started his career actually at Lark Thistle, where his father and brother Willie also played for them as well. 
He made his debut for Dundee in a Dundee derby in September 1965 where they lost 5-0. And this still is Dundee's heaviest defeat in a derby. He moved to Kilmarnock where he played alongside his brother Tommy. I think Willie was on the coaching staff at the same time as that. So the three of them were there at the same time. Oh, see, I didn't know that the three of them had been at the same club at any yeah. point. That's interesting. I don't, I don't think Willie, Willie played... Senior, I don't think he played senior. Um, it's a shame because he's your favourite McLean brothers, isn't he? Yeah, I, I big like fan of Willie, I'm yeah. a big fan of Willie. Yeah. <laughs> he was um, coaching at Dundee for 18 months when United offered him the manager position to replace Jerry Kerr in December 71 and became manager aged 34, which is, um, I mean, it was sort of unheard of really mm. back then, or certainly unheard of by myself and people, but you know, it's, it's like you always imagine managers would be. You know, in their forties or yeah. something like that. Then, um, but then, men of that age just looked older than they? <laughs> they did, though, yeah. didn't they? But yeah. I, I still, I think you're right, though. Hmm. You must have been. I mean, certainly, thirty four as a player. Oh yeah, we would have expected. Oh yeah, it must Aye. have finished about three, four years ago. Because thirty was the sort of yeah used to be the age. Whereas now they'll still play on. Because um, so, what the, the pattern was that you'd stop playing at thirty. Um, you would run a pub. And then it would generally fail but after about seven years and then you go back to punditry or management. Yeah. So he missed out on the pub years. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he took the club to a Scottish Cup final in 1983 for the first time in the club's history. This was at a time when Aberdeen were also coming to the fore and both clubs began to question the old firm dominance in Scotland. Um, Rangers tried to sign him in 1983 but McLean turned them down with the Rangers policy of not signing Roman Catholics being cited as one of the main reasons but he also decided his family were settled in Dundee there was also an offer from Newcastle United in 1984 which was also turned down the Newcastle United I think famous well maybe not famously actually because a lot of people didn't know I think they came in for Jockstein as well mm-hmm. they tried to get Jockstein and he turned it down as well so unlucky Dundee United reached the semi-finals of the European Cup in season 83-84 um, just got some of it so that, that was a season that they got beat by Roma in the semi-final so they won 2-0 in Dundee and lost 3-0 which was absolutely scandalous as we know shocking I mean uh, you, you hear the stories you see the photographs yeah. just of the, the abuse that they were getting as they were yeah. coming off and it's absolutely embarrassing um, you know to, to see that um, three years later on they went to the final of the UEFA Cup where they were beaten by Gothenburg he was made a director in 1984 and became chairman and managing director as well as still managing four years later he stepped down as manager in July 93 after almost 22 years and he then stepped down from his role as chairman in October 2000 following the infamous incident with BBC reporter John Barnes which I think we all know about I mean yeah. it's, it, it, it's probably um, don't you ever offer me that again yeah but it's, what um, oh, what's the what, what's the what's the called what's the show that did it only an excuse no 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 no. But, but, yeah, yeah they did that absolutely perfectly with the the Wayne Rooney's of the world oh aye yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> aye, yeah. it was yeah. just the, the combination of yeah. both the, the pluralisation plural, that's yeah. easy for me to say and that was just absolutely brilliant. Now, I think that's probably what got me into following their their comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was inducted into the Dundee United Hall of Fame in 2015. I'm surprised it took him so long, if I'm being honest, but, you know, that's great. The rest of the playing squad here contains names that are well-known in the world of football, and this is, we're talking about earlier on, but, you know, it's like Scots were known throughout the world. Paul Sturrock, Morris Malpass, Paul Hegarty, Dave Neary, these are, these are, like 
massive names um, in football. Another worthy note there is Ian Redford, who, mm-hmm. who played for Dundee Rangers, Dundee United, Ipswich Town, St Johnston, Brecon, and Wraith Rovers. And uh, we, as we we probably know, he sadly died in yeah. January twenty fourteen, aged just fifty three. So, anything else we want to pick out about that, or well, I think just glory in the no. I mean, it's, you know, you could even talk about uh, guys like because uh, yeah, like you say, um, Bannon was away. I can't see Frank. Capel, Coppel, how did you used to say that? Um, Frank Capel, I, I guess Dave Nery was one of the older members of the squad then. Mm. But then you got you got Badger McKinley there. You got a young Cleland. You got um, Kevin Gallagher there. Kevin Gallagher as well. Yeah. So I mean, these these were the younger guys in the squad. And also, obviously, I remember look, Billy Thompson and Alan Main. But there's another keeper there, Scott Thompson. Yeah, yeah. And did he play for um, Dunfermline? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he wasn't related to take it to Billy no, Thompson. No, no. Because that be imagine that two brothers who were goalkeepers has that ever happened? Are we, are we just trying to get double doubles. Aye, oh, yeah, aye. Peter Peter Latchford. Yes, yes, so, yes. yes. It's Peter Latchford and Bob Latchford, but they, they had another brother. Uh, so Peter Latchford played for Celtic. The other brother was in goal for Motherwell. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So, so there, was, there was Peter, Bob, and who's the other one? I can't Peter, name, Bob. Because and, I, I always yeah, have a theory about goalkeepers is that they, they are a bit different and. I would always imagine that only one sibling would be that different mm. to become a goalkeeper. For the idea that there'd be more than one sibling that became goalkeeper. And my other thing about goalkeepers is how come Poland produces so many goalkeepers? They've got some kind of special school or college there. I bet you there's families of seven in Poland and they're all goalkeepers. It seems to be a there's, thing. There's, there's probably a joke in there about um, religion and dealing with yes. crosses or something. Yeah, You'll come up with something. I'll, 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 <laughs> you, I'll let you do I'll it. I look forward to seeing you on Twitter. I'll credit you. I'll credit you. <laughs> Please Dave, don't. Dave Latchford. Dave Latchford. Dave Latchford. Yeah, yeah, was, a goal, was a goalkeeper as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just the, the, one, the other one thing I will say about this. So, the, the the positioning, so the, the, the geographical location of this is Dundee United always, you know, some teams would do it in the same positions and all the time. So sort of if, if you know Tanadice, it's it's up near where the, the changing rooms are and it's it's always in that sort of backdrop and there's there's a bit where it's I don't know if it's wood or it's a wood effect or something like that. It doesn't show in this one. But it's there's there's definitely a theme throughout the years of the, the team photos that they do there. Um, and I like to see things like that. I think there's one. I think Portsmouth do a really um, similar team photo on that, and it's it's an angle which is almost almost you know a forty five degree above, but straight on. So that's that's just something else. But also look where Jim McLean's standing in that picture. So you got four rows, and he's far right on the yeah, second yeah. row. It mm. seems an odd place yeah. to put the guy that was Dundee United. Yeah. It's almost like. He's some kind of peripheral figure where but, he could be less peripheral. But I guess, yeah. actually, if you think about it from a... Because I, I know there's at least a couple of guys on Twitter who, who are really about the, the symmetry and stuff Aye. like that. It is really symmetrical and it's, mm-hmm. you know, but then there's him. And so maybe that's it's like, OK, that there's this symmetry to the team and then there's me. Yeah. So but then but then look, look at... Um, I suppose you're right, but if you, if you were to look at that picture he didn't know anything about that team or anything about football and you were asked, who do you think is... Billy Big Box in that picture, you'd be looking, wouldn't you, at Thompson. He's mm. got the yellow top and he's right in the middle of things. Yeah. And um, no offence, he was a great keeper, but, you know, he wasn't... He was no Alan Main, was he? He was no <laughs> Alan Main. Um, so I I know what you're saying, though. I mean, maybe that's to do with Jim McLean realising that, you know, maybe, I don't think he ever liked being 
the front and centre anyway, did he? Mm. I mean, he was, he was very much the backroom guy. But it is, it's, it's interesting that that positioning, because, mm. you know, they have to decide at some point who's going to stand where mm -hmm. and what it means. So I was, I was going to just jump in here and ask Sanjay even another question just about your uh, acting career. Because um, you, you sort of crop up every now and again, as we were talking about earlier on, Avenue mm. 5, mm. with Amanda Iannucci, and you cropped up with Stan and Ollie, with Steve Green. Yeah. So you're obviously getting a, a chance to work with sort of big names. Come in, do a wee bit for working with these big names. Kind of yeah, thing. which is good fun. I mean, it's kind of... Um, I've always quite liked that about Naveed's character, where... He, you might not only be on screen for a few seconds, but it gets to do impact. really... Yeah, I mean, like that walking football episode is a great example of that. I mean, um, the first chance that we get to see Still Game as a cast is when they do the audience screening. So what they do is they'll put together a cut of the show, which is maybe slightly longer than the broadcast version, and they'll show it in front of an audience and mic them up, and the audience, the, the laughter you hear is the laughter that goes out. Yeah. And they, gen they aren't allowed to shift anything. I mean, it's yeah. production um, yeah. guidelines. You're not allowed to, to change that. But thankfully, people laughed during the screenings. So I'd taken the family along to see that episode, the walking football episode. So I've not been in the episode. My, my wee boy, Vinny, says he sees Tam phoning for help. And he says, oh, who's Tam phone, Dad? I'm like, <laughs> you wait and see, wee man. <laughs> and then I literally just walk on screen, do the tackle and walk off. And uh, it's brilliant. I mean, I, I, Naveed's character got to do more and more stuff like that. Like, for example, the Breaking Bad thing at the end of yeah, the yeah. Uh, the Hooch episode, or the 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 One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest thing with the water. I mean, I love doing stuff like that. It's brilliant. It's, it's like a Bollywood hero. It's magic. Because he wasn't always like that. He was more of a philosopher. And then he became this kind of action guy. And I'm bring it on. I love both. So it's nice to be able to do that. I mean, sometimes I'd, I'd like to do some of the heavy lifting. Um, but you know these things. It's it's also when you do varied work like that, it is nice to just pop up here and there. And you know the reason I got the Stan and Ollie gig was was that the the director uh, John Baird, who's brilliant, he's a big Steel Game fan. He'd cast me in his last film, Filth, yeah. which I'm in. But yeah. then I got cut. cut from but I'm in the DVD extras and I'm on the credits, so I don't mind. And that was <laughs> two days work, one in. Um, Belgium and one in Sweden, so it was lovely. And I got to meet James McAvoy yeah. and Eddie Marsan and um, um, brilliant cast, so I, I wasn't complaining. Uh, and then I think he felt bad that it got cut, so he said, do you want to be the manager of the Glasgow Empire? And I said, an Asian guy in the Glasgow <laughs> in the 50s managing the Glasgow, I'm not, I don't want to talk myself out of a job. <laughs> and, well, and to be fair, if you look at the way that um, Amanda Nucci has been casting people, I mean, he, he's cast Deb Patel as the lead in the... Yeah, Copperfield. So things are, you know, it's quite interesting time for me because maybe I, you know, I'll watch things like Downton Abbey and say, well, of course, I'm never going to get cast in this. Although this is true, actually. My missus was watching, they, they'd rebooted Upstairs, Downstairs. Mm -hmm. And um, it was, what, five, six years ago it was on. And so my, my, my wife was watching it. And I was kind of absently watching it with her. And I said, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not playing the race card here, but I'm never going to get seen for a job like this because there weren't any... Asian people in England at that time. And as I said those words, a seat guy walks in with a <laughs> massive turban and a peacock feather coming out of it. Oh, bastard. And what was annoying was the guy that got the job was the guy that's always getting the jobs I go for. <laughs> My nemesis. Yeah. Um, but no, it's, this whole integrated casting thing is going to be interesting if if, they, if they're serious about, you know, because we you know, the BAFTAs, there was, there was none of the directors on the shortlist of female yeah. and Joaquin Phoenix made that big speech yeah. about you know, um, uh, ethnic diversity. So, you know, I've held in the game long enough, so maybe 
I'll, I'll get something a bit meatier. I don't know, but I don't mind doing the wee, yeah, the wee pop up things. It's it's good fun and it's it's quite nice. Because I didn't tell people I was in Stan and Ollie, right? So they're like, the fuck are you doing that? <laughs> and the weird thing is, someone said, I heard you before I saw you. I said that sounds like that is Sand. <laughs> so because I didn't tell them because it was such you know it was two lines, but it was it was great. Oh, it means I can tell you my John C. Riley story. Okay. So um, so I don't know if you've both seen the film, but yeah. basically. The idea is that Lauren Hardy are doing a tour of Britain and um, they're kind of down in their career and they're playing to half-filled houses in Britain. But part of the reason is that people don't believe it's them. So the scene that I'm in, I'm running the Glasgow Empire and the idea is that I'm behind the counter and a woman saying, who are the actors playing Stan and Ollie? And I say, it's Stan and Ollie. She says, I know, but who are the actors? I said, <laughs> it's Lauren Hardy. And she says... I'm not going to pay you money until you tell me. I said, and as I say the third time, they walk in. So that's the extent of the scene. It was one day's filming and it was in Wimbledon, a theatre in Wimbledon that they mocked up to be the Glasgow Empire. So I'm dead excited, you know, I'm getting to work with Steve Coogan and John C. Riley. And the uh, thing is, I mean, I'm a bit of a Coogan obsessive, but I know he's not always the most approachable. Yeah, so yeah. I said to myself, look, if he speaks to you, speak back to him. For Christ's sake, don't fangirl. Nobody needs that. And, you know, I could talk to Steve Coogan about Steve Coogan for three days. Who needs that? So um, on the day, um, you know, he was perfectly polite, shook my hand, but they're quite knackered as well. It was a long shoot. But John C. Riley was a bit more forthcoming, and it was a nice shoot. You know, it was quite, it, it was quite a kind of, it wasn't a massive crew or anything, so it was quite nice. He was in the fat suit, so he, he was Ollie, and it was a hot day. It was in May, and 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 there wasn't much ventilation in this venue, right? So. Every time someone shouted cut, there'd be four fans on him, two floor fans, and because the sweat was going to ruin the really wonderful makeup. So he had all these fans on him, and we were sort of between takes, and he just sort of started chatting, you know, because he's a very effusive guy, and he was saying, you know, back in the 20s, there was a, there was a baseball player, he was a big portly guy, really, really good baseball player, but he was, you know, kind of fat. And um, what they do is between, I'm going to say ends, because I don't know baseball, between ends, uh, they would, they had this van full of ice and they pack him with ice. Said, because it was all about inflammation, but reducing inflammation. Back in the day, that's all they talked about was inflammation. And what's interesting is, is that medical thinking has come round to that way again, where mm. it's reducing inflammation of your arteries, inflammation of the veins, inflammation of your organs, inflammation of your pancreas, inflammation of your brain. Inflammation, inflammation, inflammation. It's all about reducing inflammation. Inflammation, you know, FYI. And I can't help myself, there's a pun. There's a pun there, and I, I, need, I need to showcase it. So I sort of stepped inside the circle of trust, and I said, uh, well, of course, that's what FYI stands for, for your inflammation, right? <laughs> and so he's in the fat suit, and he looked up at me, and he said, actually, it stands for feckless yobs interrupting. <laughs> oh, my, honestly, my arse was like a chewed orange. I, I was falling down a well for what felt like a million years. It was probably two seconds. And then he went, it's Sanjeev. Yeah, I said... I? And he said, I like the stuff you're doing in the scene. Nice, keep it up. <laughs> she threw me a rope. But for never again am I going to step inside the circle of trust and do a shite pun as I've learned my lesson. Stick to Twitter. And, and just briefly, on the flip side of that, what is it like doing the hydro? 10,000 people and it's basically... 11,000, 11, I think you'll find. <laughs> so um, it's, a, it's a big night, obviously, yeah, for yeah. all those people going out. What, what's it like? Crazy. Crazy. I mean, um, what's lovely is, is you, you obviously you, you get a sense of obviously the still game is the phenomenon that it is, and, and you know, 
two or three people a day will shout something from a building site or a white van. And that's great because, you know, they feel they own the show and that's a yeah. lovely position to be in. But to be in the same room as 11,000 people um, all loving the show is just absolutely crazy. Now, the good thing is, is that you don't see them all. I mean, when you're in there, you maybe see 300 of them. Yeah, yeah. So you play to them. Because yeah. you're mic'd up and you've got the screens and you can hear 11,000 people, but you can't see them. And, you know, I think it'd actually be harder to do a gig in somewhere like Ornmore where you can actually see the whites of their eyes. Yeah. I think that would be actually weirdly more difficult. But the other th beautiful thing about the Hydro was, you know, like you talk about doing gigs in Glasgow and people maybe kind of want you to fail, but not for that. I mean, everyone wanted it to be a success, so there's a lot of goodwill in the room. So even when people were heckling, they were heckling out of affection, yeah. and it did happen. There were fights. I mean, people getting <laughs> leathered all day. It was their one big night out that year, and they'd spent a lot of money on tickets. I mean, sure. we were hearing horrible stories about people getting payday loans Ugh. to get the tickets, and like we're nothing to do with the pricing structure. We're like, yeah. don't please don't put your house at risk to come and see a show. But what it meant was it was their special night, so of course they're drinking all day, and um, you could hear the fights and the, the acoustics in the hydro are really good. You could hear that. That, flesh on flesh, for oh, Christ's sake. And I remember looking out the curtain once and you could see like two security guards like running, like crossing each other with their hats off like Benny Hill. Um, so it kind of just added to the atmosphere. Um, but no, it was it was lovely. And it's in a weird way, it kind of feels like it didn't happen. I remember, I mean, I don't stay far from the hydro. I mean, I'm. a lot of people say, you know, oh, how was the tour? It wasn't a tour. <laughs> it, was, it was the same venue 21 times and it's 12 minutes from my house. Because mm. I'm... Like that, the first Hydro show was the one where Isa has the mushroom dream and I come on in a Bollywood outfit with 12 dancers. Yeah. So I'm Freddie Mercury in front of 11,000 people. It's amazing. And I'm someone that hasn't done a huge amount of live work. I mean, my stuff tends to be like studio-based. Yeah. So it was a bit weird for me. But I remember, I think, eight nights into the run, um, we'd done the show and then there's usually like a wee kind of quite tame after party and um, warm Budweiser and Pringles. And then um, I'd come home. And I wasn't drinking because I was driving anyway. So um, I came home, it was about midnight, and Fiona, my wife, says, oh, how was the gig tonight? I said, oh, yeah, it was a really good one, another standing ovation. I've got green top milk for the morning. <laughs> she said, seriously, you just came off the stage at the Hydro and they went to get milk? I said, well, I am taking the kids to school in the morning. Why would I not? So in the in the way that Glasgow's always going to, it's never going to let you get away with it ahead of yourself anyway, it, it was very levelling to yeah. have done that and then, do the school run in the morning. And then mm. someone would say, oh, I saw you last night. Yeah. And like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And dropping your kids at school you know, and, you know, going to the gym and stuff. So it's it was a lovely, lovely experience. I had the best of both worlds. I was still going to my own bed at night and yeah. um, mm. and then doing it all again the next day. That was lovely. Okay. Excellent. Right, at this stage, we give a shout out to our charity partner who we team up with. It's called Back On Side. I don't uh -huh. know if you're aware of them. Yes. So I'm just going to read a bit about what they do. It says, here in the UK... One in four people will experience a mental health illness each year. Mental health includes a person's emotional, psychological and social well-being. An obvious widespread problem, yet it is estimated that only a quarter of sufferers receive ongoing treatment, leaving the majority of the UK population tackling these debilitating issues on their own. Here at Back On Side, we have recognised this ongoing dilemma and are determined to rebuild a society where no young person or adult is left tackling mental health problems alone. So what we do is, for each of the podcasts, we do a, a web page as well, which contains the, the photos and any links and things. Mm -hmm. So you can, as you're listening to it, you can go along and, and follow it all as well. So we put a, a donate button on there, mm -hmm. and for every 
basically, if you donate a pound, you get the equivalent of a raffle ticket. And what we'll do is we draw, and the winner basically gets the goodies. So the the original magazine, the mm. super size one, which we'll hopefully get you to sign yeah, yeah. afterwards. We'll probably throw in some books if we can, and some um, stuff, other stuff from the collection. So fifty percent of that goes to back on side, and fifty percent goes to running mm. the podcast. So that that donate button will be there. But if back, I could, could I chuck in maybe if I can dig one out, maybe a still game script or something? Oh, it'd be absolutely brilliant! brilliant yeah, yeah. No, I'll, fi- I'll find that. something and all. Yeah, brilliant! That sounds absolutely great. So back on side, they're at back on side um, on Twitter. So give them a follow, support them what they do. Just follow what they do, and you know, give them give them help if we can give them um, financial help through the donation. Then that'd be absolutely brilliant. Um, I'd like to say a special thanks to Pete Wiley of the Mighty Wah, oh. who because the the intro music and the outro music mm. for the show is Story of the Blues. Yes. So he's given this permission to use that. And oh, I, I I'm sort it. of a Twitter pal of his. Yeah. I can't remember how it happened, but he replied to a tweet I did, and um, I think what it was was I was looking at the Sky listings, and mm. there was a, there was genuinely a documentary called The Story of the Jews, <laughs> and I, I tweeted to him and said, "Have they have you asked your permission?" Or, or something like that. Anyway, I, yeah. So that's the music you use in Story of the Blues. Yeah, oh, yeah. great tune. So Banger. it's one it's one of my favourites. Yeah. Um, so you can catch up with Pete on www.petewiley.co.uk. Um, I also like to thank a producer, Diane Jardin, for all her great work and supporting the podcast. So please check out www.transmissionroom.co.uk. I did say please check out, you could check out Diane the, the last time. So the, Can I point listen. out as well that Jardine means garden, doesn't it? So Diana Jardine means Diana Garden. So you're named after the memorial garden of the late, dearly departed Princess Diana. So please check out www.transmissionroom.co.uk where you can book music recording and rehearsal facilities in Clybank. So with that, I'd just like to say, if you're listening to this, um, thank you. If you've listened to the other podcasts, or if you haven't listened to them, please listen to them. They're, they're absolutely they're, they're great fun and enjoyment, um, educational and all that. We've loved doing them. Um, share it with your friends, share it with others. Um, basically, just keep following us, interact with us. You know, It'd be great to hear back from you what you think about it. So that'd be absolutely brilliant as well. So thank you for listening. Thank you, Tom, for being Tom. Thank you. Thank you, Sanjeev, so much for, for being Sanjeev. And thank you for coming out live on air. That's, that's a, that's, they'll be edited. Don't you worry about that. And thank you for listening again. Until the next time, let's shoot the breeze. Shoot the breeze.